All right, this is Raleigh Bitcoin podcast number four. Um, what's the deal with the Trezor hardware? Hack. They're no longer secure. Anymore. Oh my God, shut up. Now, all right. Wait a second. Is this is this like a non-fixable, like no longer secure? Yeah, they said that it's uh, the only way that you could fix it is if they redesign the entire Trezor. Can't be patched. Wow. Okay. Well, there is a way to mitigate. I don't want to get. You explain the explain the problem. Yeah, though. give us okay. the breakdown. So uh, essentially, um, they found a way. Uh, not like too keen on the specific technical aspects of it, but uh, you can um, catch a treasure while it's booting up and crack the pin and get it to reveal the private key. Um, and because of the way it's designed, where it exposes uh, certain things during boot, um, that's a fundamental flaw in the way it's designed and it can't be fixed. Unlike uh, Ledger and some other wallets that don't um, expose the same information during boot up, they keep it on a separate processor. So okay, so it's, it's possibly something like where where the Trezor like loads it into RAM because I knew that was something that was one of their uh, earlier um, bugs that they found is that if you had physical control of the device, you could read the seed phrase off of RAM because because they pulled it into RAM to like generate it, and you could do it. I think even after, I can't remember exactly the details, but they did patch that and fix that. So this is like maybe like in the transit to RAM. Maybe? Yeah, I'd have to look again to see like sort of the specifics of it. But I do remember the, the key points to me that I that I stuck in my brain was uh, one that it can't be fixed without a redesign, um, and those are always the best bugs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, also, so there is a way to mitigate it. Basically, you can have a passphrase on your Trezor, and the passphrase can be cracked, but if your passphrase is as difficult to crack as your 12, 24 words, see, then, you know, but I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose. If you have to use something as complicated as your pass, as your words to log in, then you've kind of mitigated the point and the, of the convenience of Harbor Wallet. No, I, I know the, unfortunately, I have, Locked away quite a bit of Bitcoin behind a passphrase that I can't get to. So uh, I did a lot of research into exactly how that worked. Um, and they use the uh, BIP, I think it's 48 or 38. I can't remember exactly what the, what the BIP is. Um, but the way they generate the behind the passphrase part of it is that it is half your key. So if, uh, if they have the, your actual seed words and then they have your PIN number, they can't get to anything behind a passphrase. And all of my stuff would be behind a passphrase. Um, I kind of do that because I assume, no matter how great your hardware device is, if somebody has physical control of it, they've probably got your Bitcoin after it. Like, if, if they're a clever like hacker and they know how computers work, I imagine, I'm going to assume at least, that you know it's exposed. Um, but the way they generate that is they actually use, they generate a 256-bit key from your password live when you type it in, and then they take the 24, uh, uh, 24 words to make your 256, combine them, make a 512, and then hash it 2,048 times, and then that's your key. Um, and they use a 256 hash. So uh, it's actually brute force resistant even if you use just like a 12 character password that you can't remember. So the key is kind of to use a password that you could actually recall that like is a relatively easy to remember password, um, but you're not susceptible on like the physical side of the device is that if your device is stolen, it's still hidden behind a wallet that doesn't exist until you actually type in your password every time you boot the thing up. Um, so the so way that I heard this one was that there was it was possible to brute force 
the passphrase. But does it have the same? Is it just a, a free for all brute force, or is it still have the timeout feature that Trezor said? It's a free for all. Apparently, they said that the only thing stopping them from brute forcing it, and this is just not knowing the technical information, but the overall like the end result that I read from letter chain, as much as they are to be trusted, uh, was <laughs> was that conflict uh, of interest. Was that uh, you know you could brute force it, and the only thing that would stop you would be the complexity of the brute force, which they said specifically that if you wanted the same security, you'd have to make your passphrase as random as your 24 or 12 words. Got you. I've got well, if that's the case, maybe there's hope for me and I should contact somebody. <laughs> yeah, maybe actually. Well, they haven't disclosed how to do it yet. They mm -hmm. said it can be done with less than $100 worth of hardware. I'm going to call somebody because that would make me as, as disappointing as it is to hear about a Trezor vulnerability if there's some way to get into that passphrase. I would very be. I would very, very much be interested. Well, you in might be able to, to pay them to hey demonstrate on my treasure, please. I did, I'll pay you ten percent of what's locked that I have assumed is one hundred percent gone at this point. So. What, I believe they knew about this vulnerability from the very beginning, but the what happened recently was the hardware necessary became exponentially less expensive. It used to be like a hundred thousand dollars to do this hack, and now that it's only a hundred dollars, it's suddenly feasible. Although they haven't revealed the specifics, you can't download and start hacking today it's just someone's aware of the hack existing interesting okay all right let me let me uh play my whatever devil's advocate or whatever this is cool that like we talk about this and make this makes like publicity or whatever but the analogy i came up with today is like this is like um a kid accidentally strangled himself when he was putting on a bike helmet and like everybody getting all up in uproar about how bike helmets are you know are like not safe and like everybody like avoid bike helmets because there's it's this a morbid one in a million case. can come up with a better analogy <laughs> probably if i thought about it a little bit more but like like yeah it's like people just listening to this conversation are just going to come away with the idea like oh hardware wallets aren't safe like that's the only conclusion anybody's going to come away with which is the same conclusion as like not wearing a bike helmet because there was one person somewhere in america that got strangled with a bike helmet it's like everybody listening to this a hardware wallet is light years your safest way to store your bitcoin period like none of this conversation like challenges that fact at all and it's, i just think it's really important to say that whenever like before we dive into the details i mean i know jc's a big fan of the ledger team maybe a ledger is better than than trezor right now but the reason these um faults are being exposed with Trezor is because the ledger team is paying people and, and like like ledger is like actively determined it's not like we're never going to find a fault with ledger it's just people aren't trying hard enough you know people if you have a hardware device yeah like if you if you have there, it yeah. in your possession yeah. like the likelihood that you're going to figure out a way in is high yeah there's going to be a fault with everything everything's going to have faults but if like if we start doing this thing, then we become the news. Like we, we don't tell people what's important. We don't talk about what's important. We just talk about the one in a billion case of somebody getting hacked and it scares everybody way more than they should. But <laughs> I also, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, I'm glad these things are coming to light because it's always good to like make the, these things better. It's good. I just worry about how much news and how much press it gets. And I just... I get rubbed the wrong way when people don't talk about the most important thing here. I'll tell you that I have three treasures that I use relatively frequently. One is part of a multi-sig. 
Um, one is just, I use it just as the treasure, but I always have it behind some, at least a basic passphrase, just so that I know I'm generating the key when I boot up, as opposed to it being exposed on the hardware. Because again, since the very first bug that I heard about in Trezor, I was like, eh, that's probably smart to just do it that way. Um, and uh, I have not, like, this was like interesting news, and it's like interesting to read about, but I don't consider my stuff any less safe. And it was like I was already making that assumption anyway. Yeah, I, I think there's a big difference. And I first of all say, I'm not saying our wallets aren't safe. If anything, we're saying treasures aren't safe by Ledger or by Pool Wallet or by any other hardware wallet other than ones that have been proven to be insecure. What's safer, an exchange or Trezor, and by how much? Trezor, probably. Probably. How how many coins have gotten stolen from an exchange, and how many coins have gotten stolen from a Trezor via this hack? We're not gonna. It's not fair to say like the the shittiest hardware wallet versus the shittiest exchange. Like you could probably make a hardware wallet. Like for example, the BitFi, the BitFi hardware wallet by John McAfee isn't even a real hardware wallet. Doesn't even store your keys. I think the point here is the the Trezor versus exchange, not the worst hardware. Well, but he's saying the worst exchange. There's many exchanges that have never been hacked. The best exchange. Case, the best exchange. It, I would rather have Trezor than put my funds on the best exchange. The, not if I had like a billion dollars. That's the, on the best exchange. The best exchange Ooh, stops with withdrawals. No. There's, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. Crazy, because Trezor's dude. been proven to be insecure. The, you can literally just hold on. The guys at Ledger can just go and take secure at a point. Hold on a second. Secure to a point that you can verify if you're holding the physical treasure you've got no bug somebody else yeah, has to have it that you never and know what an the exchange fuck is has going a on better exchange exchange is a better you don't have the slightest clue what they're doing on the back end how many you like you have a treasure you have a, you have an exchange that says they do it with multi keys how do you know they're not all using treasures how the hell do you know? Do you do you call up the guy who's holding the actual hardware key? Well, your exchange be like, you still got that shit? It's still got it, more than just okay, the, good. The, the I'll call you tomorrow. The they also there's exchanges with insurance like Coinbase. There's exchanges with insurance funds. That's not Bitcoin insurance. They're gonna yeah. They're, they're gonna pay a whole bunch of dollars, and they're not. They're gonna give you back dollars. They are not gonna give you back Bitcoin. Well, I mean, Bitmex and even Binance. Binance is just hacked. Nobody lost any money because they have a very huge insurance fund. The safe food fund. So I mean, uh, your money is, you know, and especially like, let's say the fund is three hundred million dollars. You're safe up to three hundred million dollars. I would rather put it on. Finance, you are safe with all of their customers up to three hundred million dollars. Right. But the customers aren't safe. They always cut off withdrawals to random people for no good reason. Every exchange, the best exchange, has shut down withdrawals on a perfectly legit person. You can get so your coins aren't safe. Water. All right, let me put it to you this way. Are you safer holding your own keys written down on a piece of paper than you are holding Bitcoin on an exchange, a really good exchange? Um, no, I don't think so. You, you think you're safer on the exchange with them probably, having your keys? Because, yeah. uh, I mean, just holding a piece of paper in your hand is not as secure as a huge institution like Coinbase promising to give you your money back. Which I'll be, I mean, there's obviously problems with that, but a little piece of paper in your hand is not very secure. You're much safer. You're the the outside of like getting robbed. You're your own. Yeah, fault but point. getting robbed is the, one of the but, problems but, with that. But I'm saying like with exchange, there are a multitude of things that can happen where you can never get your funds back. Whereas with a piece of paper, I can either lose it or I get robbed. Or like some paint falls on your head. Or, or yeah, or like, something. Can like I that. refer you to like 
to 40 or 50 hacks that have happened on exchanges uh, in the last, like, Here's a quick list of these documented exchange hacks. HitBTC, Cryptopia, CoinMama, DragonX, BitThumb, Binance, GitHub, BitTrue. And how many people lost money in the Binance hack that you just mentioned? Seven that I know of. And how do you know, how do you know before someone loses it that you're, you're at that you're at the Binance when they get hacked and not the Quadriga. How can you possibly say before the hack happens that oh this is going to be a Binance situation where everybody gets their money back, not a Quadriga situation where everybody gets fucked? It's not the reason. What I would do is I would just use a ledger or a good hardware wallet, not a Trezor, which has been hacked. I'm okay. So you're so saying that's, that's the point. That's the point I'm making. No, no, no. We were the the question really was if you took the best exchange. And you pit it against the worst hardware wallet. Which one would you choose? And you said you would choose the best, best exchange. exchange. Yeah. And I would. And I'm saying there's a and spectrum of risk that the hardware wallet is on the closer to the safest than an, than the best exchange. There are possible. very different. Risks. I don't think I don't think there's even a comparison between having it written down on a piece of paper. Which obviously, if someone steals that piece of paper from you, they have your keys. Um, arguably, they have your keys, and you don't if you didn't write it down anywhere else. But in the in the in the opposite situation, all you have is a trusted third party. You're just a like you're just a holding your thumb up your ass, being like these guys are gonna do it for me. I can just close my eyes, and they've got the policy that's gonna save me. They've got the insurance policy that's not going to. I get would rather use a ledger, or that, but I would rather Coinbase with their very good cold storage solution than a piece of paper in my hand. But I don't have these yeah. pieces of paper. I, I think it's a good point what you said about the people at the exchange. What kind of hardware wallet are they using at the exchange? Because it's you don't get around somebody being responsible for a hardware wallet somewhere. It's either you or it's somebody at the exchange. Those people at the exchange, their hardware wallet has billions and billions of dollars on it, Bitcoin. They're a honeypot. They're the ones that are going to be attacked. Like you don't get around the vulnerabilities of hardware wallets by saying you're keeping it on an exchange because for damn sure the exchange is using a hardware wallet or some kind of offline laptop that'll have similar problems to the hardware wallet. Like you don't get around the hardware wallet problem by saying you keep it on an exchange. So what you're talking about is the difference between should you hold a hardware wallet or should you just no. hope that it, someone else is holding a hardware wallet on your behalf? I think you're totally discounting the amount of security that what we call the best exchanges or custodial solutions are, are using right now. It's not like some guy with an envelope and he puts his treasure in it. They've got – because some of them are audited, like Coinbase, for example. But then you also see like – Who audited The big them? problem that people are talking about Who right now. Who are you now. trusting? How one many different things, institutions are you trusting one and of which one things, of those did you verify? One of the things that's keeping institutions from getting into Bitcoin right now – is the fact that they don't trust the custodial solutions. So there are a lot of big players like Fidelity creating those uh, custodial institutions and mm. allowing them to be audited. And I mean, it's it's a very like their their custodial solution is actually things, really good. They uh, yeah, they're building things they worthy of billions of dollars or trillions of dollars worth of custody. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm not talking about like Quadrega or some guy with a, you know like putting it in a drawer and like hey nobody go in there because that's where all the money is. Like uh, you know there, there there are good and getting better. So there's solutions. Now, obviously, I would rather use a hardware wallet than trust a third party. That's the point of Bitcoin. But a piece of paper in my hand with a lot of money on it or one of these really nice custodial solutions, I'd rather choose, you know, if I had to make that choice, the really nice custodial solution is pretty secure. 
I mean, as good as Fidelity's wallets are, I mean, I'm presuming them to be excellent because it's Fidelity, they're still being attacked every single day. There's still many people that are trying to break into them because they know at the end of that tunnel, there's trillions of dollars or billions or trillions of dollars of Bitcoin to take versus me just having a piece of paper and writing down a bunch of words. I mean, you can, you can craft the words in any which way in which you know which letter goes to which, but the point is, there's only two ways that, that you can't have access to it. Whereas I can think of a multitude of different ways with an exchange. And we might be running into the same problem you get into with like, what's faster, a bicycle or a Lamborghini? And it depends on how, how, <laughs> how far you wanna go. If, if, if you just wanna go like five feet, the bike's gonna win. If you want to go, you know, uh, a mile, obviously Lamborghini is going to beat the shit out of the, the bike. But the same thing with the piece of paper. What if you're going to the moon? If you say, if you say, like, okay, you got a piece of paper in your hand for ten seconds. The Tesla wins. <laughs> or you got your money on Fidelity for ten seconds. Which one's safer? Okay, that'll say the paper. I, I think for ten seconds, I can keep that paper safe. But like, Fidelity, the company that was pushing mutual funds backed by subprime mortgages. That fidelity. That fidelity. Oh, that one. Sure yeah. Fidelity. Yeah. Right. Grab a mic, Jared. You also have to remember that fidelity has employees. Sure. Like, fidelity has people who are there handling those keys or part of those keys that see exactly how much money it is and don't care that you are holding 0.001% of that batch of money because they see the whole batch and. You're 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 talking about you're talking about trusting other people with the keys, nice possibly a group of other people. It's nice to have somebody to sue. Yeah, it's nice it's, to have somebody to sue. You're talking about that kind of money. Why do you want to have to sue somebody to have your money? Well, it's better to keep it on a piece of paper. I mean, like, but how long are you gonna keep it on that piece of paper for? But I mean, but well, as far as suing for corporations, that's precisely why yeah. I haven't jumped in. Is because they want to remove counterparty risk, yeah. Yeah. and they want they somebody want to, to hold liability. accountable for yeah. it. So they can point to them and say, "Oh, you lost my Bitcoin. Yeah. Now you owe me X, Y, and Z." Yeah. It's not. It's not. I think. But but this is the simple solution. I mean, I don't know why we're 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 even saying, "Hey, just use an, a hardware wallet that's been proven to be insecure," when there are a dozen other hardware wallets that have not been proven to be insecure. Exchanges aren't proven to be secure. Nothing's proven to be secure. Exchanges. You guys are wanting me to compare with exchanges. I'm just talking about using secure hardware wallets. We're saying use any hardware wallet, any, and, and you are better off like, than a lot of different alternatives. But would you say, there. like, if you had a choice between a Trezor or a Ledger today and you didn't buy one, would you say I'd the Trezor is just equal? Just I would still choose Trezor. Why? It's been proven to be insecure. If they have physical yeah. control of the device. Yeah, but I and, know exactly And you don't put a passphrase. That's, that's yeah. How many... Ha- how many hackers, how many people who managed to break into your house and steal it would even have the slightest clue what they were holding on to? Like, the point is that like, you don't have to have that risk. You can just choose one that doesn't have that risk. They don't have that risk anyway. I, when I, you put it behind a basic password. Is phrase. there, so one of the big benefits of the Trezor is that it's all open source and the ledger has a you know, secure enclave that you can't audit. There are other but open source things. are there proof, you know, open source hardware wallets that have been proven to not suffer from the same vulnerability? Well, proven to not is impossible to say. You can't prove something isn't vulnerable. Uh, obviously, uh, Ledger and Trezor probably have the most scrutiny of any wallet. Well, you could, you could run the same exact test on oh, another. And they did say, for example, KeepKey is vulnerable because of the exploit that was revealed on the Trezor. So KeepKeys are also vulnerable in the same way. Um, 
I would be interested to know, like, my other favorite wallet is the Cool Wallet, but it's not really many people think about the Cool Wallet, because you're not going to have the same scrutiny, you're not going to have the same people trying to, like, prove it can be hacked. I, I think we might have an interesting discussion with this to see how this discussion overlays with confidential transactions and being able to audit the supply of the coins, because just being purely open source is a big thing for me, and same with auditing coin supply, which is yeah. why one of the reasons why I don't like confidential transactions. And, and Cool Wallet is open source, but again, it's not got the scrutiny that Ledger has, so for all we know, it's full of holes, and nobody's cared to reveal them because it doesn't get you know, thrown in the spotlight. You know what would be hilarious is if we found out later that w while this time, while the Ledger team is like publicly announcing all of these holes, that the Trezor team is finding holes in the Ledger and quietly releasing them to the Ledger team so they can <laughs> fix them and make their product better without trying to make a big show and a big FUD to the community. That would be hilarious if we found that out, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, that would. I mean, <laughs> that would be anybody who was spending Ledger would have to eat pie in the face. Uh, but, you know, I mean, if that's happening, then fine. I'll bring the pie. But it's just like, that, that's my problem, is that, like, it's cool to fix these problems, but the Ledger team, they just seem to go above and beyond about broadcasting and fudding the public about this. It doesn't seem like their primary concern is fixing it. It seems like their primary concern is making people afraid of Trezor, which is cool if you're just trying to say, like, you know, Trezor is slightly better than Ledger, fine. Like, maybe I'll buy a Ledger right now. Maybe right now Ledger will be a little, a little better than Trezor. But we're talking about, like, 99.999 versus 99.99999 compared to one with exchanges. Like, the gulf between, like, hardware wallets in any other method right now is so enormous. Talking about the Trezor, the difference between Trezor and Ledger is, like, tiny. It's like, it's just not worth discussing almost. Well, I will have, I have to admit this, and this is going to be a really unpopular Sorry, view. I didn't take you. I've, uh, <laughs> I've had to tell at least one person that I, that I consult with who was, you know, looking for the best custodial system for the money. They had like nine ledgers and, and a couple of treasures um, because some of, the, some of the assets don't fit on ledger, like uh, I think Icon is one. Anyway, for them, like they keep accidentally losing their ledgers and not knowing where their seeds are and it's like they don't know how to use computer that well and uh so now we're getting back to the personal responsibility thing and so i actually yeah. told them you know what and it was like this particular asset it wasn't like all their assets there was one particular asset and i think it was only like uh less than twenty thousand dollars worth and i said i think i feel more comfortable if you put it on coinbase because like they had already lost like four thousand dollars of another coin because they thought they put it on a ledger, but then they don't know where they sent it. And like, it's just, it's like, just, I think I'll feel better if you put it in Coinbase, you can see it. There is a word you're looking for to describe this entire situation, <laughs> irresponsible. <laughs> and they don't make a hardware wallet for that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, I have to occasionally, this is the only one example I can think of, but yeah. I think if I had more clients, it wouldn't be uncommon to have to recommend exchanges more often sometimes for some things i wouldn't say put your life savings with a bitcoin on the coinbase account but if it's some <laughs> random asset I, I just think that's a different i mean it's a different conversation like we just i think just in general just to be in this space it requires you to have some level of knowledge technical knowledge and all these other things in order to safely secure your assets like we haven't gotten to the point where you can have you know grandma being able to go into their hardware wallet and in and out without any mishaps like we're just not there yet we're 
years away from that. I don't think you guys think enough like criminals. Here's how I would do it now. <laughs> now that this vulnerability is being here the revealed. crook of the group. Detail. You just need to start people stealing treasures because now if you just get the hardware device, you just need to get the knowledge out there. If you see one of these devices, I'll buy it from you for 50 bucks. And they're just going to be over at their friends' houses seeing these treasures. They bring it to me. I've spent the $100, got the set up, so I can go through as many as they bring me really fast. And then, you know, it, it would turn a profit very quickly, I think. That's how simple you would just do it. Simple. If people keep these in their desk, if they don't keep it in an actual safe, even if they do keep it in a safe, you just steal the safe. If they keep it in a safety deposit box, those aren't great either. And, and don't have a passphrase, right? So the, that whole setup you're talking about is for people without passphrases. This is what, could you explain the could you okay. explain the passphrase again? If they could get so, mine, I'd be um, willing to send it to them. Um, <laughs> a passphrase is like a twenty fifth word that you get to come up with yourself. It's not it's not generated for you by the device. So if you add your own passphrase that's got more than twelve letters, then none none of these hardware attacks are even relevant. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like we don't have that more conversation. The passphrase. There's hundreds of words, so each digit is hundreds of possibilities or a thousand possibilities instead of just twenty. Well, no, I'm talking yeah. about the the passphrase can be any words. length, and it doesn't have to be one of the words. The passphrase yeah. can be any. Does word. it need to be twelve unique letters to get the maximum security? Um, I mean, not really. Just no, just random. Just so typical. To some degree yeah, of randomness. just typical yeah. password entropy. Like it, any like word or phrase that comes from more than like 52 characters right and each character is equally likely and you have more than 10 of those characters that's pretty much impossible it's to 52 crack. to the 10th power like, yeah it's 52 yeah. to the 10 there's no way a yeah. computer can guess you know that much i mean unless you use like a common english word word with no you know numbers or yeah, no if your, if like, your password is puppy then yeah they'll yeah. just dictionary attack it but if you're using 12 random letters like if you can figure out a way to do that like if you can figure out a way to get into that i would look call me but <laughs> other than that no it's gone i think guy would probably pay you 20 Lots. 20 dollars for that and more than that yes really? absolutely absolutely and when that when that's turned you know, on i know what we're doing next week <laughs> when, when that's a ledger man i think you could actually get it done what i think you could actually get it done if you send it a ledger i've sent it i have sent I, we I've talked to a number of people who break passwords for a living. Um, I talked to the uh, password recovery guys on Reddit, um, and everyone has told me I'm sorry. I sent it to university. Um, the computer science group. No, no. If if you're saying that like Ledger thinks that they can do this, I'm probably going to send them another email um, and talk to somebody because I'd be very happy well, to hear it. But I know the key is generated as soon as the the 12-character password is included, um, then to generate the key, it's hashed 2,048 times. So any brute force is not, uh, what is it, whatever the number of characters is, I guess we guessed 56, I think it's like 62 or something, I can't okay, remember yeah. exactly. Um, but whatever that power is, you also have to multiply each one of those by 2,048 because you then have to hash whatever the result is 2,048 times. Um, so whatever you think the number is that it takes to brute force that number, multiply it by 2048, and that's the actual amount of time it's going to take. Um, so it's not – I have had no one give me any Does hope. it do that every time you turn on your treasure? 
Um, it does it every time it asks me for a passphrase. If, if I it have it set... It can be done set, very quickly by a small little treasure. The generation? It can, it can, yeah. Yeah, it only takes a couple seconds. So but like it's a couple big, seconds per try. Like a big computer would have a lot more power than a little thing. So I mean, yes, yeah. a big computer could do a couple of thousand per second, probably. Yeah, wh- a couple thousand per second is nowhere near. Yeah. You no. could do a million per no, second. And when it's you go a joke from, compared to how long it takes to crack past when you When you go from eight characters to 12 characters, it is between hope to, like, let's just go ahead and cry about it. Yeah, exactly. Up. Like, yeah. that. Those, those last couple of characters will just... That's the end of you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exponential growth. Yeah. It's amazing how quick that happens. You go from, oh, it might take a computer a, uh, a year to, to guess this password to a trillion, to a trillion years to yeah. try to guess this by just adding yeah. one more character to your password. Yeah. It's how insane. Many, how many characters you're choosing yeah. too. If you know you only use numbers, it's a lot smaller than if you use numbers and letters. Oh, yeah. If you use numbers and letters and symbols, and it's like... You spend know. a whole day trying to figure out exactly, because I saw it. Um, for a blip, and I, I could tell you that I didn't see any double characters, that I didn't see any, like I didn't see, there was no way there was more than like four capital letters. Like, so there's a lot of stuff that I could eliminate, but the the percentage of the entire pool yeah, of what's available is still Might be too big to crack, but hopefully not stupid. for your sake. I, I, I've done... It, it's one of the reasons I know more about key generation <laughs> than most any other part of Bitcoin is because of that problem. So um, I'm still hoping it's just a 40-year retirement plan. Um, and who knows with quantum computers and how many soft forks and or a hard fork to fix past vulnerabilities and the fact that cryptographic keys or signature um, schemes only last you know 20 years or so, I'm hoping that maybe... In the future, when we're three three versions ahead, that that I can still see it, and maybe it can be free and uh, belong to me again. But Howard, I've, I've, the first thing I would do is probably read that Ledger blog post after this. Oh, I'm going to. I will. Um, I've been meaning to actually. I, another thing that meant that uh, that made me think of is I think cold card or some of the new hardware wallets are not giving you the option to just have the 24 words they force you to input entropy yourself so they like force you to wiggle the mouse around and to like change the 22 through 23 words so it's not just generated by the device like it it makes you put in some entropy in there so that would like get around these um recent trezor hacks and so I, i think that's cool i think i think that is kind of a design flaw from the beginning that trezor uh, gave you the option to not put in any entropy of your own into the 24 words. So I'll agree with you that. I also agree with JC on the like new people with like a less than a thousand dollars that don't know how to use computers very well. Yeah, you should probably keep it on an exchange. I, I agree with you there. Keep too. it on Cash App, not keep it on Coinbase. Exchange. Don't just put it on like coinmarkets.io or whatever. Yeah, but what about that uh, Steve Jeffress exchange.io? <laughs> <laughs> Better buy that domain like Put right on now. There. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, a paywall.link uh, link. You just click on it. It says perfect custodial solution. It'll give you a QR code. Send your sats there. I have to hurry up and put that up now in case anybody listening does that. You probably got time. This won't be yeah. this won't be published for at least a couple of days. You're golden. You're golden. Just go up on Namecheap, site, open URL. Good to go. 
I think we need to dig in this topic more, you know, go deeper into the, no, just Speaking kidding. Speaking of, <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw more about this. I, I don't uh, know as much about this as I wish I did. I just saw a quick little thing on Twitter, but apparently somebody has released a tutorial to create your own hardware wallet for less than a hundred bucks from stuff that you source yourself. Ooh, that's pretty um, cool. That way you don't have to trust any supply chain. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. If you know what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I didn't look at it to see like what we're talking about here, but I just saw the. Uh, I just remember looking through it and thinking to myself, "Oh, that's a good idea," but I have no idea what it entails. I don't know. In the whole, the whole core of this argument, though, I think if you if you hold everything else as a control, everything else is constant. The responsibility of the person holding the keys, uh, or holding the hardware wallet, or whatever it is, I think you have comp two completely different dynamics um, that can't be compared is you have the degrees of security when you're holding your own keys and the degrees of security when someone else is holding your keys. And I do not think you can compare, I think it's apples to oranges, is you're looking at just the, the risk factors are completely different, the ability to know like your security level are completely different. One is fully trusted, one is either you're an idiot or you know what you're doing, like I could just, you can't say, you can't compare one to the other because they are not the same thing. End of story. One, you have the keys. One, someone else has the keys. Maybe if you're taking an irresponsible person who does not know how to hold their keys and is holding on a, a vulnerable device, you can say that is less secure than someone who is holding the keys for you, who does know what they're doing, who is insured, and who has the secure hardware wallets and some incredibly good scheme or whatever. But I don't think you can compare the two models in and of themselves. I think you're just subjectively saying most people are going to be stupid with their keys if they're holding themselves, and uh, these subset of my subjectively chosen exchanges are going to be really good about it and probably not going to be hacked. Um, but I don't think I just don't think they're the same. I agree with everything you just said, and I think you know obviously, and that's part of the point of Bitcoin, is that you don't have to trust anybody. I mean that's what Bitcoin enables you to do. That's why. You run full nodes that you don't even have to trust the miners. Um, you are completely in control of your own uh, money. Uh, that said, I think my point really does though, given a choice, you if, if, if a hardware wallet that I like is proven to be insecure in a way that can't be fixed, I'm gonna start getting a different hardware wallet. Like I love hardware wallets, but they're not all equal. Sometimes when I think about these things and I'm encouraging everyone to hold their own coins and run their own node and stuff like this, it's also it's always like ninety-five percent for them. Like I think it's I think it's personally good for each individual to do these things, like have a hardware wallet, own your own keys, don't trust an exchange, run a node. But then like five percent of that advice is like more macroscopic, like this is good for the health of the network as a whole. Like it, it's also kind of good for me in a way if you don't trust anybody. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, it, it's partly advice to the individual person and partly just like, hey, this whole Bitcoin experiment is going to fail if people don't take responsibility for their own. It, like the whole experiment depends on people having that attitude of, you know, taking care of their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with the whole, like, if, if we don't push the whole the concept, like, the, the kind of rules of, like, this isn't, these, these are new dynamics. This is something in the digital world that is novel. Um, like, 
it, never before has it been that like your information doesn't belong to you unless you have the password. Like, like as far as like Facebook or whatever, like you're looking at a situation where you've always just given it up to somebody else. Like you've never had control or ownership of it. And to actually have something that is a bearer instrument on the internet, like in the digital space, that is truly yours and that you can prove is yours is kind of crazy. And if you don't teach people about exactly what that means and the important ways to interact with it, then you're putting everybody at risk because you lose the momentum of everyone building the tools in that direction. Like as soon as things start going back to let's just centralize everything, let's just put it in a central database and everybody will just put their keys in this big bucket here, like you're immediately negating everything that was an innovation and you're saying let's just go back to the thing that we're trying to fix. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I completely agree there. I mean, I think what happens if half the coins get absorbed into the international regulated finance system where just banks in France, Germany, Japan, the U.S. own half the coins just because people wanted to buy them. They never bothered getting, their, getting away from custodians. I think at that point they could dictate the development of the currency. I don't know if anyone has thought about this or heard what that vulnerability would be, but at, at some point if they just own a huge portion of the economy that is Bitcoin because we don't, because we let someone else hold our coins, it would be a very dangerous choice. Are you saying they'd be able to like control the development direction? Like they'd be able to like bribe and or fund or like development in the way that they saw it? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I don't think it would be bribe. I think it would just be in, they would just essentially control the system if they owned all the value of it, the economic value of it. People would just listen to what they said because they own all the coins. Right. And you would hold sway because all these millions of users that hold coins at your custodial solution have to go through you and they have to jump through whatever hoops you have to say, you know, to get the value that they own. And the people that didn't like this would be a radical minority on a probably less valuable chain right. at that point. I think all these situations just reinforce the fact that, you know, don't trust, verify, and there are no shortcuts. You know, the, the shortcut of just thinking that you can safely store your coins on an exchange or on a hardware wallet or just do anything that's bulletproof and is always going to work uh, is just not a good way to approach things in Bitcoin. That There are always going to be situations where there are vulnerabilities and there are trade-offs to be had, and that's the whole. S that's one of the things that makes Bitcoin so cool is that there are always trade-offs. There's no perfect solution to anything. Well, and as I was listening to you uh, talk about, you know, basically you have to have a mind as you – do things, um, you have to put energy into being safe. I think that's kind of life too. At the same time, you can't just no perfect. Is that, is that proof of work? <laughs> it's, there's no, there's no like, there's no perfect thing that somebody can just say. You know what? I have all this money. I'm gonna do blank with it, and it's gonna be perfectly. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Like that doesn't exist. Having a hardware wallet is kind of proof of work that you have done some work to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But to the point about you know Ledger versus Trezor, you know everybody already knows that Ledger has you know a secure enclave that you can't audit, and maybe it's a vulnerability, maybe it's not, but it's it's there. And before situations like this, where there is an exposed, uncorrectable vulnerability with the Trezor, 
you know, people might think, oh, it's just infallible and it's open source, so it's perfect. And that's not the case. You know, you still have to exercise caution and physically control the device and do other things to protect yourself. And there have been vulnerabilities, by the way, just for people's information on the ledger uh, in the past uh, that were patched. And some of them, like, weren't very uh, practical, like one where you'd have to essentially have someone's device before they owned it, uh, physically uh, put your own firmware on it, put a physical button inside that was radio controlled, hack their computer also, then wait for them to get the device, put money on it, then go to spend it, then be within radio range and activate the physical button presser that you installed into the ledger, and then you could steal somebody's money. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. And then hope that they don't just load it up with Doge. It's funny, uh, yeah. <laughs> you do all that work and then they load it up. I don't bitch, shit coins. <laughs> when the, of course, it was a ledger. <laughs> when the ledger team, uh, and I'm not really trying to... When the ledger team responded to that hack, they said you probably should have used a spy camera instead. Just, just to steal the pin. I mean, <laughs> um, getting back to uh, Wade's question, uh, like what percentage of coins, if you know, fifty percent of coins were held by custodial entities, would that like make it a failed experiment or something like that? Yes. Or, yeah. So I think about this a lot and. I really think um, the threat of a bank run is super important. So I really like this proof of keys days where we encourage people to withdraw all their coins from an exchange just and just put them back the next day if you want. Like uh, just the idea that bank runs in Bitcoin are real and possible like all the time. And like I, I think if if. Um, I don't know if institutions got to the point where they were absolutely sure that people weren't going to withdraw their coins, then we would like run into problems, which I mean, that might be an issue. And that might be like what's motivating me to like, you know, make people learn how to withdraw coins from an exchange, because like I want all the institutions to live in fear of bank runs and not really live in fear, but just like like be honest and be like hey you know what everyone you can do bank runs whenever you want like all of your money is going to be there it's all going to be legit so i don't know i don't know how we promote that and i think at the same time if like like definitely seconded on the proof of keys days like i think that's one of the most important holidays that i think is just kind of a fascinating thing about the January culture third annually right well what yes yeah, so what's up um is that it's a fascinating thing about the idea of like Bitcoin culture as a consequence of its technology is that like this is like you have don't trust verify and then you have an extension of that like proof of key stays is that the nature of Bitcoin says that I can prove and I know when I'm the owner and then this is my exercising of that. Um, and it's th that whole thing is a whole fascinating thing. But from to your point about uh, whether or not when all these exchanges, let's say they do own, uh, you know, a majority of the coins or something, do they get to control um, the development direction? Well, if you're talking about, like, moving development, well, if we're talking about a hard fork in general, um, we've already seen what happens when a majority of the uh, market attempts, like, the majority of the corporate market attempts to make shifts or make changes to that was the Segwit2x laughable disaster um and with 
the alternative yeah. when we're talking. Yeah, just a, yeah. yeah, that's interesting because most people think that this was just a miners versus users kind of debate. But no, the Segwit2x was, yep. yeah, it was like corporate exchanges teaming up together with miners and they still failed to influence the direction of the It was supposedly of, of everyone who represented and signed. They claimed to be roughly somewhere between 80 to 90% of the entire market. That they were not almost, I think it was 89% of the hash power. Um, that Coinbase, like just, just them alone, were like 50% of the quote-unquote users. And they were, say, they were saying that they spoke on behalf of their users. I was a Coinbase user at that time, and I was like, suck it. You do not speak on my behalf. I don't support Segwit2x. Remember, that money is someone else's deposited into their institution. And you have to ask what they are going to think. You're going to have to ask if they're going to run a node, if they're going to withdraw their money on proof of keys day. But you also have to remember that they, they had the benefit of a very tight and small community then. I think the, the ability to coordinate that kind of thing uh, in the market is, going, is, is getting further distant, not closer together. When the community was small and tight, it's very easy to get all the major exchanges when it's like 12 of them around the world behind some specific proposal like Segwit2x. But when you're talking about ones that are across multiple jurisdictions where governments are involved in every country now, we have strict regulation and all of this stuff, to get a couple of exchanges in China to move development in their favor versus a couple of the major exchanges in America to move development in their favor if we're talking about centralizing or controlling the development space, how do you get those two countries or the jurisdictions good, the to The good agree? news is they're already working together. It's called a banking cartel. <laughs> it is well known that there is an international banking cartel. So pretending like the world's richest entities that are already working together in a monopoly fashion can't do the same thing to other things like Bitcoin if they could just figure out a way to buy it or trick their customers into buying it for them than being custodian and doing whatever they want on their customer's behalf. I mean, it's a big vulnerability. If Do the price doesn't go up really fast as they attempted to make the move, they'd have, they could have to sneakily do it, obviously. Yeah, you also have to remember that it would mean that they would have to drain all the Bitcoin OGs of their coins to have the dominant. They would have to... Satoshi would definitely have to be dead. <laughs> and uh, Laszlo would have to be dealt with. <laughs> Uh, everybody, everybody who has coins from seven, eight, nine years ago who is still around, like we've already mined eighteen million of the twenty-one, or seventeen nine, something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but they're fighting over the ones that are left, or they're trying to catch up and dumping trillions and trillions of dollars in this market to make sure that they have the most of them. So, I, I think it's much less, it is not one of my concerns. I have a number of concerns about the future of Bitcoin. That really is not one of them. Should we get into your concerns? (laughs) 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 What hack? Slack hack? Slack? Oh, yeah. Did you hear, did you, were you not... Oh, well, message I, I wasn't checking that? Slack when that all happened, and I just okay. read through it today, but that's crazy. Oh, where's David? Where's David? Is he not going to be here tonight? Shit, that's right. 
Okay. I think JC would probably be best JC, at this, JC. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, Can you yesterday... give us the backstage story? Yeah. <laughs> yesterday at the uh, at the uh, crafty meetup, this guy came and he was totally new to the group. We didn't, he wasn't even part of it. He was just like a guy that was like, hey, I have Bitcoin. It's like, how much? Oh, 0. 0.6. Happened to be the same amount that was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm new to Bitcoin. Somebody just, uh, somebody just gave me some Bitcoin the other day, you know. No, just he, he did it point six, but uh, but that obviously I don't think was the guy. But uh, anyway, it's uh, so recently, and uh, these kinds of hacks are not necessarily uncommon, but it's the first time I've seen it here locally. Um, somebody in the Slack group. So we have a Slack uh, Raleigh Slack group um, that was created by a guy uh, named Dave. David, who's been in the Raleigh scene for many years, he does all kinds of uh, OTC trades. Um, you know, well-known, trustworthy guy. Let's not say his last name. He likes sure. to stay pretty private. Yeah, Let's just say David. it's yeah, Dave. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm just it's Johnson. It at, <laughs> keeping it at Dave. But uh, uh, the guy, uh, somebody makes another name uh, with the same name on Slack and starts messaging everybody, including me. Um, and saying, hey, uh, do you have any Bitcoin? I need a favor. Um, and uh, I get a message, actually not from him first. I get a message from another one of my friends. Let's just uh, not use names now, I guess. <laughs> I should have probably started from the beginning not using names. <laughs> um, see if you guys can censor Billy. that name when you edit it. Good Billy. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so person number one um, messages me and says, uh, hey, uh, JC, um, is this guy trustworthy? Because he said he's got this deal for some Bitcoin. Uh, he wants to pay 12%. He can uh, pay by tomorrow or by even by tonight, you know, if I can come off of a 0.66 Bitcoin. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, that guy's been around for a while, and uh, he's pretty trustworthy. I said, but make sure, that, you know, it's for him and that he's not asking for a friend or anything like that. And uh, literally, even like five or six minutes later, he says, okay, well, I did it. And I was like, well, you did, needless to say, I said, you did make sure that it was really him, right? You know, that's a lot of money. It's like eight grand. Um, he's like, uh, oh, well, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was like, well, uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to like, and I'm thinking like, there's no sense in me like raising the alarm now. It's probably who it's supposed to be. And like, if it's a scammer, the money's gone. So, okay, we'll just hope that everything works out, you know? Um, but then like, I, then I got a message from him. And when I got a message from him the next morning, it was really strange. Because he says, hey, you don't have to, this might be a dumb question, but you don't happen to have any Bitcoin, do you? And I was like, there's no way he would be asking me this question. This is super. He would be asking you whether or not you had. Yeah. Any. Like, this yeah. is, a, he's like, this might be a dumb question, but do you have any Bitcoin? Like, I'm like, this, okay. So that's when I went to our Telegram group and I said, hey, guys, is anybody talking to this guy right now? Because, uh, then we have his number. I think you should call him and see if it's really him because um, he's acting strange and sometimes accounts get hacked. Uh, turns out there was another guy in our group that had also given him 0.66. So it's at least oh. like 16 grand that this guy has, has got. Yeah. Yep. I almost took him up on it. Um, I got a message. I was out of town, um, which uh, I have no idea what, what I would have done as far as like, proving who it was um call, i just i just got a great I, yeah i mean I, I probably would have done something but i hadn't really thought that far through it but he sent me a message saying that uh he had somebody who was willing to buy who's trying to buy 5.5 bitcoin 
and willing to pay 13%, so give me a 1% premium. Um, 13%, 13% over, and uh, said uh, he'd already pulled in 4.28 or something like that, and uh, was wondering if uh, I wanted to contribute any uh, to get the 13, 13% over. Um, at the price, and I was like, "Ooh, I might, I might actually be interested at the prices right now. I could, I could, I could get in on that. I'm away from my computer or whatever." And like we went back and forth a couple times, but and he kind of went silent for a little bit. And um, but I didn't have much on me. Uh, I didn't have much with me on my uh, phone. And I was like, I'll, "I'll, I'll talk to you again after I get back." And then I jumped into the Telegram a little bit later, and somebody was like, "Yeah, dude, I sent him point six. And, Dave, and I saw the actual conversation with David, and he was like, dude, I've not messaged anybody. Um, and then it was like, I was like, oh, yeah. shit. And, and by the way, anytime anybody asks you online for eight grand, I think they're not too busy for a phone call. Um, <laughs> like, if you want $8,000 from me, you're going to have to answer your them. phone. Like, if you tell me, like, if you tell me, uh, like, oh, I'm kind of too busy for a phone call right now, like, well, then I'm too busy to give you eight grand. So, <laughs> I've got a couple of opinions about why this happened the way it did. First and foremost, it's really easy to think of Bitcoin as imaginary internet money that has no value, and it's easy to move it and send it because it's only 0.6. It's one, an integer bias. Two, we don't assign it value until we can actually spend it, which is a fucking inherent bias and flaw in most people. But two, don't be fucking trusting of people, even if you fucking know them. Verify. Just like, yeah. don't trust, verify. It's it's like Bitcoin 101. Yeah, the, I was wondering in response to this, and it goes back to where we started with, should we change our practices as a group to have security? Like, how is this person able to just register on Slack and create a new username? Or does the group just all individually not make security mistakes? Yeah, we should probably have a have a group policy of don't ask people in the group for money. Well, at the very... Well, the, I, 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 see, I'm not even against that policy just because a lot of times I'll lean on the group to find somebody that I could sell or buy from. But, like, I would not be against... I mean, does everybody in this room know how to use a PGP key? Like, I would... and Because, I mean, that person created a fake account. They didn't even yeah. have David's account. They created an account that just looked like David. And David has his... PGP keys on his website yeah. so that for that reason. I'd be perfectly willing to just sign every message with a PGP key anytime that it was like, let's make a deal or something, and I'd be willing to I, trust that. I don't think policy is necessarily needed. It's just education. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder, a constant reminder and education that you don't just send the screen name eight grand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's another thing to this that when Steve and I were talking about it, like uh, hindsight being 2020, armchair, quarterbacking this whole situation this is actually the best thing that could have happened to this meetup i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you guys why it is so simple for someone to ask someone they're so trusting it's such a good core group of people that are coming to the raleigh bitcoin meetup that we're willing to trust each other because we believe each other and there's a good group of people now it sucks that someone got screwed i'm not saying like we should screw each other left right and center but think about the kind of relationships that we have that someone just said fuck it you know, David's a good guy. I'm going to send him eight grand. Yeah. I mean, the, three nights a week we spend together? Yeah. Like, this is a good group of people. If you're not here, I've you're missed you guys. Out. I've yeah. missed you guys. I've been here. I haven't been here for like four weeks. <laughs> and I've been I've been needing to get my Bitcoin we're fixed trying to really find bad. We're podcast host to replace <laughs> you, but we couldn't find anyone. <laughs> 
honestly, guys, I'm a little upset because I didn't get a message. You know, nobody wanted money from me. Everybody's <laughs> like, Daniel doesn't have any Bitcoin. <laughs> no better. That guy's worthless. Too cheap. Man. Yeah. You know you've got first world problems when you're like, the scammer didn't call me. <laughs> so what's this stock to flow topics? I missed, I missed most of this conversation. Like I well, saw, I saw mention of it on Telegram. Yeah, I mean the, the the original question earlier today was just about if these mental models and financial models that people use to value Bitcoin, um, is it a good idea to to use those and actually attribute value to them or or not? Um, you know, a few of the examples listed were the stock to flow model, the NVT ratios. Um, there's a lot of on-chain metrics as well. Mm -hmm. Also, the McAfee decline. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite, personally. I think that one's the one that's most pertinent. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I like the. Uh, I personally like the stock-to-flow ratio just because it's um, like the NVT is is decent, but I think it completely. I think it would work. It makes more sense that that would work early and not later. Um, because right, right. I think the nature of Bitcoin with the limitation of the UTXO set, set and the fact that we've got like multi-sig is becoming very common, lightning is becoming very common, we're going to build layers on top yeah. of this thing, obviously. Yeah, that's and, and NVT in particular, there's a lot of nuance in how people use on-chain for settlement, and particularly like OTC It has a big trades. effect. It has a big effect. Like if if yeah. OTC trades aren't actually happening on-chain, if they're just mm -hmm. happening on an exchange and they get settled on exchange, yeah. Then that that kind of throws off the whole yeah ratio there. I think the MVT for as long as it has been relevant, I think it is. If it's still relevant, it's not going to last long. What what's MVT? Uh, MVT is the. Yeah, yeah. It's based on like the UTXO set, like their age, and uh, like the number of active like uh, addresses and stuff like that. Um, and it's attempting to measure the number of users um, versus the. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite is actually versus the hodlers. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah. one of my one of my favorite one is actually the realized. Um, is it the R? I think it's realized realized cap, what, not not market cap, but realized cap is you instead of just valuing all eighteen million bitcoins at eleven thousand dollars today, you value them at the last time they moved. So yeah. what was the price yeah. the last time they moved, and then you get to see who's you know, Realized who's at a, I guess that's what it's called. Yeah, who's yeah, above water and who's below yeah. water versus when the last time the coin moved. Yeah, I like that one. That one's by uh, is that the Masari guys? It's Nick or Carter. Is that, Nick Carter. I'm okay, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd love to see uh, that somewhere on the chart. I read. Yeah, the, I read one of their articles. I think it's Coinmetrics IO has all these charts on it. They they have just so many great charts. It's pretty cool. Nice. That, that's quite. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't draw the conclusion of who's above water and who's below water because that just assumes that like most movements are associated with like buying or with on chain with on chain yeah, yeah. settlements. So right. I don't know about that, but that is that is a really cool. But metric. it's a good. It's a good yeah. metric for like for Satoshi's coins. You know, they have basically no value on this metric because those million coins get valued at basically zero. So they don't, you know, jack up the market cap like. Yeah, valuing all million coins at eleven thousand does. It's much more reliable, in my opinion, than just straight market cap. Yeah, the, the, I wouldn't look at it like Steve said as a who's profitable or not, but I would 
value it as, um, as you guys are saying, essentially, um, just a measure of, because if a coin hasn't moved in five years, it's not necessarily part of the circulating supply. So how much is actually circulating and at what price? And that's a great way to measure it. Oh, wait, sorry, but what if we did this for gold? Gold never moves. <laughs> so, so does this mean that we should, like, you know, the market cap of gold is $1 million because it never moves? I think you would have to account uh, for... Sorry, JC, I didn't mean to cut you off. Technically, probably a lot of gold has moved because in vaults it has at least exchanged hands. It stayed in the vault. But there was a transaction between like this country and this country, country signing it off. It's like they got a state it. chain. They're swapping so the keys, not the It's coins. a state chain. There you go. There you go. Daniel knows. Another uh, <laughs> metric I like uh, is the, um, the the buy support. So uh, coinmarketbook.cc lists coins by buy support. And I really like that because whereas exchanges can fake volume very easily, uh, buy support is much harder to fake because if I put a big fake buy on a shitcoin and you sell all your shitcoin into me, like I just lost all of my money, so it's much harder to, to sell buy or to fake buy support. And so I think the the actual demand in the books for buys is a really nice way to measure coins. And a lot of the coins that you'd expect to be lower on the market cap list are lower on the buy support list. Interesting. So it's CoinMarketBook.cc. This this metric that you're talking about, like that just values the coins that have moved recently. It's it's almost a different metric for a money. It's like the store of value versus the medium of exchange. It's almost, it's not measuring the store of value property. It's like measuring the medium of exchange property, maybe. Or the, yeah, but it, I don't know. But when you look at the chart, you know, when yeah. you look at the, the Q4 2017 chart, you yeah. see people start moving coins and then the realized cap shoots up vertical because all those coins are getting revalued at today's price. So the realized cap you know, for the whole market shoots up. But if there were just a norm, if there were a market where the price went, you know, a lot higher, it doesn't necessarily mean that the realized cap is going to go a lot higher unless there's a bunch of on-chain movement. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a lot of this comes down to, um, what percentage of on-chain movement is Bitcoin being exchanged for goods and services or being sold for U.S. dollar versus people just moving their Bitcoin to more secure locations? Does it? Does anybody know of a metric for that? No. Probably, I would guess most activity is exchange-related yeah. uh, to or from the exchange. I think most is, though. Yeah. I, think, I, yeah. I think they can... Most most movement because yeah. you, you know you've got a large subset of people who are just holders that are moving out of exchanges or like buy avenues. There's very little merchant like retail use of it, um, and the majority of the market is definitely speculation. It's exchanges and yeah. trades, um, yeah. but it's also just like a portion of the market. It's kind of like the froth on top of right the, exactly of the beer. like when right. I so I used to watch the you know, blockchain, and there would be $12 million, you know, $20 million single transactions. That's not somebody withdrawing from an exchange. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I agree. Like most of the $1,000 movements are exchange related, but but I see million dollar transactions go on chain all the time. And these are probably somebody buying drugs or 
buying a car or wait, not a car, buy or like, or just, well, okay, it's probably. Can no. <laughs> I have twenty Teslas, please? I I gotta disagree with that. I think there's a lot of big volume going in and out of exchanges. Somebody just moved like two hundred million dollars uh, worth of some shit coin to Binance the other day. Um, it's all the time. I mean, it, there's obviously a lot of big players, and they Binance has deposit limits. But also. But also, well, you probably have like, like daily. Yeah, you they have to. they have they have regular user limits. Okay, okay, maybe um, there's yeah. like. And you also okay. you also have to remember how many OTC markets. And there the OTC are. trade is actually like, bigger than the normal. Yeah, what we I don't know there's about a, that, man. I it is. I've there's heard people a lot say that, OT. but I I've also heard people say I don't know. I, I've met someone who worked for Kraken who was like, yeah, OTC is nothing compared to what we do on the exchange. So and maybe Krakens. I mean, yeah, I, are, I, I debate people that claim all these huge OTC things. I mean, there's a lot of uh, reports that people have published about it. And it's supposedly and I've seen I mean, I see lots of OTC all the time, but well, not as much lately, but especially the last bull run. Uh, OTC was crazy. I, I used to see like 20 million minimum. Like, don't where are you seeing this, though? Where are you seeing OTC numbers? Mostly on Telegram, certain Telegram groups that oh, are okay. private groups. Though. All right. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't see as much anymore. But still, there are r- reports that have been uh, published by certain like capital funds and, and groups or escrow groups, and they apparently. I mean, the the fact is, according to people, you know, that the OTC market is bigger than the exchange market. Now I can't verify that myself, but there's a lot of good information about it. It seems to be general consensus amongst money movers. Maybe if you just include all peer-to-peer trading and OTC, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I got a question. What does everybody think of this whole uh, break up out of the pennant thing that we've done in the last day? Like the price. What? Can you Anybody tell those of us who aren't like TA wizards about this? I'm not a TA wizard, but like. Well, you used pennant and other. It's, a, it's like you, you get those flags. Like after, after you get a run, like it, it likes to take a break for a little bit. And like it, it makes this like flag or uh, pennant, depending on like, you know. Your terminology and where you want to call it a turnaround or a continuation. A big and green then, candle. And it, it just it literally just makes this like little get, like this little pump flag. Lows, it looks like highs, a and they they closely get yeah. get together and then it's gonna break up or down and yep and we just broke up. It's gonna break up. It always breaks up. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know where it, like see. Well, I'm just like, what did what do y'all think of that? I did not like. It just doesn't make sense to me that we're. I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I just couldn't believe that we could, we wouldn't have a pullback at this point. We're like at one point four seven on the the mayor multiple, the the how far away from our two hundred day moving average we are. See, so and which is the kind of thing I, I have a problem with just models in general. Yeah. Um, the the one saying that they have in finance is that um, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Yeah. So. Yeah. With the price breaking up, you know, higher. I mean, generally, if so, if this is a, if, if we believe that this is a bull market, mm-hmm. and you would tend to believe if we come to any sort of continuous, oh, definitely, right, definitely bull market, right? <laughs> um, well, there are some people who actually still believe that we're not out of the bear market Fuck yet. <laughs> there are people that yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is never in a bear market. That it's going back to like three thousand. Um, but if you if, if the market is in, a, in an upswing and it hits a continuation pattern, then the, the tendency is for that market to continue to move up in that pattern. It's just reverse. It's a feedback. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's just based on market sentiment. So if we suddenly entered into a bear market, kind of like in twenty, you know, early 2018, um, those same kind of bull flags and stuff that we saw was just reversed because sentiment reversed at that point. Yeah. So that's pretty much what's going on. What's crazy though is that like we we don't really have any resistance left at the all time high. We're actually really close to the all time high as well. Like it was only like it was only like a week I think or something. I was actually looking at the way up. Twenty days from twelve to twenty. So I was looking at the chart sometime last week and it was only forty days in the history of Bitcoin that the price had been higher than it is now. It's like a month, but it feels like it's a long way away. Yeah. But, but no, it's actually it's really, not. It's really just like a couple of like angry candles from I mean, getting right there. If we blow yeah. past fourteen thousand, I think we get we if we try and test twenty thousand. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be, I think that'll be crazy, because then you'll really get a lot more people paying attention to Bitcoin. Because right now, the the retailers, they still are kind of licking their wounds from the last you know, bull bust cycle. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are just not interested in it outside of like the the hodlers who've always been there and knew this is a great buying opportunity below 10,000 and the institutions. Eventually they'll come back, um, but it's not until like the news starts saying like Bitcoin closing on all-time highs, closing on all-time highs. That's when people are going to be like, what the fuck? Is this back again? How does it not... Die. Yeah. Keep, keep <laughs> I don't know. For me, for me, I, th- this gets back to the whole ratio thing when you when you talk about the stock stock to flow and Plan B and that whole chart. And you look at the chart and you say, okay, summer of twenty twenty, you know, should adjust up to a fifty stock to flow or something, and it gets to be about fifty thousand expected value sometime mm-hmm. shortly after that. You think, okay, yeah, that makes sense, and legitimately that might happen. But it makes me it makes me worried that so many people expect it to happen that. There are going to be a lot of hurt feelings and, and like unmet expectations if it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of preparing for the path of maximum pain. You know, mm. I think that would probably look like get back, you know, to 16, 17, 18,000 and then go back down to, to nine. Mm-hmm. You know, and people are like, oh crap, we, I had my chance to sell. Obviously, I don't think that way. Then uh, It sounds like you really think it's going to happen. Sounds like you're preparing yourself for it not to happen. <laughs> that would make me very sad. <laughs> I that would make the stock to flow chart. Like, yeah, I dude. think it's the only one. I think it makes the most sense. Yes, the stock to flow chart um, makes the most sense. I, I, I agree. I, I, know, I know you agree. That's why you're saying that. <laughs> it's yes. You hate how much you agree. I, know, I agree so much that I don't want to agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that stock to flow chart. Have you seen it? Like, it, it can, does stock to flow for gold, for silver, for diamonds, for... Bitcoin, platinum, platinum yeah. it like, it just plots. That's what they they're saying. The stock to flow model is like all of these assets you can price just based on their stock to flow ratio. So stock is how much of the asset currently exists, and then flow is how much new supply is generated every year. And you just divide those two numbers, like the whole amount of gold divided by how much new gold comes in every year. So if you, if that number is high, then you have a high stock to flow ratio, and you can plot stock to flow ratio versus price, and it's like a perfect model fit for yeah. all of the different assets, and it shows if this really is a great model, then Bitcoin is hugely underpriced right now. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Is that it's, a good summary? It's pr- 
pretty darn, you know, you don't want to say it's predictive, but it's it's pretty good when you look at the R squared value of like 95. You know, that's if you've if you've ever done any financial modeling and you're trying to like do some stock, you know, some stock charting yeah. or something, and you do an R squared. It's not bad like, news. Anything no, that's above 50 is is considered pretty decent. So if it's yeah. 95, that's yeah. Like so it's 95 for Bitcoin on the Bitcoin model, and then when you look at across. Bitcoin and silver and gold and platinum and diamonds and all these other things that follow us a pretty standard um, stock to flow value model. When you group all those together, it's like 99% predictive there, or, or not, what's the right word? Not predictive, but like I think just model data. fit. Yeah, just yeah, model yeah, percent yeah. fit. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah. there's no lag time involved in this. So this isn't, yeah, so. You wouldn't say predictive because there's no lag time. There's no like future forecasting right, involved. Right, right. It's just you have to, have to remember it. We yeah. expect Bitcoin to be less aligned to it, just because it's so illiquid and it's such a immature market that it would obviously have swings to the top and the bottom to a far greater de- degree than a mature market would, like gold, silver, or platinum. Right. Right. Yeah. If you take a if you take out the the huge FOMO and the huge FUD events in Bitcoin, yeah. then it fits like even more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, give it that 200-day moving average looks a hell of a lot different on that comparison to the stock to flow right. than the actual chart does, yeah. you know, which looks absurd. <laughs> so, yeah, 200-day mu- moving average, that's almost like a year. But have you ever got, Have you ever looked at the 10-year moving average? It's, it's <laughs> the, just the one big candle. That one, <laughs> one, <laughs> that one big candle. <laughs> Dude, we're... We're definitely in a bull market decade. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the, 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 the whole. That's what they would call uh, the whole. <laughs> Got to pick that time frame real good. No, that's that's we're definitely in, in the markets that would call that it's secular, kind of a bull market. Kind of even stocks go through it. Like you had the last great secular bull market, uh, which I think some people would make the argument before this one was 1980 to 2000 when it ended with the stock, the, the dot-com bust. So between 1980 to 2000, the market increased like 3x or 4x over that 20-year period, and it had some dips along the way. So if you looked at a chart from 1980 to 2000, you see the crash of 87, which it was a 20% drop in one day, but it was just a blip on the radar. Then you had all these, the Asian crises in the 90s, that was just another blip on the radar. And then there was a massive run up towards the end of 98, 99, 2000. And then that's when you had that massive collapse. So Bitcoin never, in its history, has ever experienced a secular bear market. And if we just kind of take it, if we kind of could use the traditional markets as a guide of how long those secular bull markets last, then roughly 15 to 20 years. So this would be we're kind of halfway through a massive secular bull market. It's crazy that Bitcoin is happening now and, you know, for the past decade during the same time when governments refuse to have a bear market in the public markets. Yeah. I mean, could the timing be any better? Yeah. Yeah, it it seems so prophetic that it's like a little bit – the coincidence is almost hard to believe. That, it, that these things are taking place and coming to head at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, and w- with the bailouts and with, like, the international yeah. stuff and the negative interest rates, it's yeah. it's it's spooky how 
perfectly timed Bitcoin is. Yeah. That's why I say it's a time traveler. That's that's why I've just always You're loved right. it. Like, yeah. like people talk about like narratives and uh, how like the story of something is so critical to getting adoption or getting people to care about it to find find meaning in it. And there is no story that is quite as amazingly aligned and just like as the whole Satoshi creation of Bitcoin in the macro world, like like <coughs> the changes that have under like have happened since the creation of Bitcoin and along the creation of Bitcoin is just really nuts. It's like one of the most fascinating stories that I've ever known to obviously be true because I lived it, you know, that like I've ever heard. It's just yeah. It's yeah. just nuts. I mean, th this is one of the reasons that I'm all in on Bitcoin is like, even if it did fail for any reason, I would spend the rest of my life being like, yeah, um, there was one time where we had a chance <laughs> <laughs> to save the world. Yeah. And I was there. And I was there. We recorded yeah. a podcast. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <audio>. <laughs> and, and because that's the case, because so many people feel that way, then it's, it's not going to fail because you know, something else will get created the next right. day. Like everyone knows that this is our chance to save the world financial system. It's, it's freaking obvious. Yeah. The pressure has grown so great and it has created more advocates and people who understand and care for this future that I don't think there's, I don't think there's any realistic way that it gets undone. Like Bitcoin could fail as a technology. Um, like, or, or Excuse me, it could fail as a network, but I don't think the system fails as a technology in, in, in the sense that we can build whatever solution, it, what, whatever bug killed it, whatever it was, whether it was the degree of the cryptography or the, the, the algorithm got killed or something, whatever it was, the, the idea of creating decentralized, uh, like, true bearer assets for exchanging value without censorship, full independence, you are the sole owner of it in the digital space, the cat is out of the bag, Pandora's box is open, it's done, and yes, we could get set back for some years because of some technical failure or a bug, but it's not gone as a technology, it's not, it's not going anywhere, in fact, I think we're just looking at the beginnings of something incredible happening. Yeah. I was I was looking through a, a report that I came across on Twitter last night, <laughs> and it is. Hello, hello. Cookies. Everybody, stop recording. We have to get cookies. Right. We, some cookies. Uh, we are had here. cookies just show up, and so uh, there was an in interruption in the room. Sure. I've got a question. Well, we'll what even. kind of cookies? They're sugar cookies, and I tried to draw Bitcoin symbols. Oh my god! Oh, that's that's awesome. Awesome. I'm holding them up to the microphone so you can see. Awesome! Give them to me. Give them to me. It's amazing. Oh, this is amazing. I'm gonna take a picture of this. Absolute glory. Take a picture, JC. That is awesome. And then eat them. Sorry, everybody. Sarah, Sarah, work. So Sarah has uh, worked at Red Hat and she's just made some Bitcoin cookies. Um, she's she's really smart and she's also a pre-corner. Pre-corner. Yeah, I think I would actually be better featured on your last podcast, the Bitcoin for or crypto for noobs, right? Yeah. 
Did you actually listen to that? I did. Did you really? Yeah, What'd I you think? Didn't want to come tonight after that. Okay. Like, oh, God, that's me. I love the new the terminology. Just spray corner. It's so great. Pretty long time, probably like seven years for me. I think I'm hitting eight. Yeah. Eight years? I'm not here with these fellas. I gotta pick Three in the years. livestock pavilion. I'm gonna win that blue ribbon. We've <laughs> <laughs> been doing the meetup stuff. I met Steve what three years ago? Maybe four? Yeah. What's the other guy? I um. It was Tinder. <laughs> Tinder. Tinder. Yeah, I no. Swipe right. That's all. You super liked it, didn't you? <laughs> guy, guy showed up with like. It was a hair. <laughs> Well, he showed up with a couple thousand dollars in his sock uh, trying to pay for Bitcoin at one of my meetups. Well, that's how I met Guy. Yeah, I, I did show up the first day with like a big load of cash. Give me some Bitcoin. I think you're joking. No. No. I have somebody that I was meeting you, like, come out to the meetup and, and we'll hook up. I'll you know, introduce you and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll be there. And I brought a big bag of cash. It was kind of weird. Yeah, wow. so yeah, meetups, they started out kind of wild west, like this is a trading post for people to just exchange Bitcoin for cash. I think that was kind of the original purpose of meetups. Was it like that in Wilmington too? Yeah, because it's kind of a safe spot, right? Like you want to do trades in public places and, you know, a place where other people understand what's happening and nobody's going to scam each other. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I sell Bitcoin for cash. I'm probably going to regret admitting that on the podcast, but, you know, I sell for cash at meetups pretty often. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to buy some? Yeah. Yeah. 20 bucks. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, s- <laughs> what do you have for the cookies? Yeah. I'll pay for the cookies. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a tough deal. Yeah. I'll send you. That's the scam of the century. <laughs> I knew this was just leverage. It was a setup. Yeah, it was totally if you install a lightning wallet, yeah. I'll send you some Satoshis. I'm sure probably yeah, some other people will too. I got Breeze. Been loving that wallet. Yeah. Okay, so the best way to Dude, do it is you can download Breeze wallet. It's an app. It's probably the easiest one to download. Actually, got a. So we could literally do that right now on your phone. Okay. I um, actually had a, a me and Roy, uh, Shineco, the creator of Breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we just had an interview um, last week. I think it'll be out Monday. I believe is the current schedule. Um, but uh, we had a fun time talking. I had some issues with Lightning Labs, but of course Lightning Labs is uh, alpha still. Um, so, but yeah, that's been a great wallet. I've been, I've absolutely loved it. And we had an awesome conversation. Breeze, yeah. no breeze. And I didn't yeah. even know anything about it. It's like it just kind of came out of nowhere, and it was like, holy crap! Like, this is immediate. Like they, as soon as I send like Bitcoin in, like I'm sending to a loop transaction. They're opening a channel with me, funding on their side. They fund every single channel with a million Satoshis from their end. Um, so every single one. And, and he said, you know, we're looking at like a thousand, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand users. And it doesn't matter if anybody funds it, the second that you install the wallet and announce yourself to the network, they open a million Satoshi channels for you. It's really cool. They have iPhones? Yeah. Yeah. easy. It's completely non-custodial. You hold your keys. They are simply your like lightning service provider. They're managing channels and making sure that liquidity is always available. A route is already always available. Um, you really, you literally do nothing on your side. Like you 
can, like, to have access in, like, the, the advanced tab to, like, the developer commands and stuff. Um, so you can see the stuff. You can look at your channels. You can look at your tiers and that kind of thing. Um, but basically, you don't do anything. If you, if you want to do nothing at all and you just send Bitcoin to it, it'll just show up in your channel and you'll just spend it like nothing. Like, it's, it's really amazing. I've been super happy with it. You know, when I first installed Breeze, awesome. When I first installed Breeze, I um, I couldn't figure it out. I thought, how do I open my channel? I sent Bitcoin here, and I can't figure out how to open my channel. Like this is kind of like I heard this was easy to use, but I can't is figure it, still, it out. Is it still beta? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, that's why. And uh, and it turned out the reason I couldn't figure out how to use it is because it was so easy to use that there was nothing else I needed to do. Uh, no, that's fine. Okay. It was it was already done. The thing I was trying to do was already done. So can you see your Lightning Wallet balance is different from your main chain balance in Breeze? Or is it there is no main chain balance. Oh, okay, it's just a white Lightning. If you send Bitcoin there, it gets turned into Lightning in your channel. Okay, that's cool. Which, by the way, is very convenient for if you have like some smaller like $5 UTXOs that you want to okay. clean up. Just send them to your Breeze, Yeah. and it's automatically deposited. You don't have to open a channel with and all that. But that, that's a little – people need to understand that. That they're getting a Lightning wallet, not a Bitcoin wallet. So it's kind of, I don't know. But you send Bitcoin to it and it goes. Yeah, but they can't sell that on the exchange. Well, there are exchanges now that accept Lightning. And oh, okay. Also, uh, there are a few. There's That's even one point. I was looking at. I'll have to look at the name. But uh, there are places where you can even swap like Lightning to Ethereum or Lightning to um, on-chain Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you have to find it now, but they have a loop in and loop out. Like the loop service is done, so... Uh, you can make it so that you spend lightning from like your lightning wallet and it okay, goes so Sarah has downloaded the lightning wallet and JC is going to send some coin open for you live so. on the air <laughs> live on the air pretty exciting thanks for the invitation oh JC JC's yeah. using his phone by the way me and JC went to a pool party about a month ago and he just submerged his phone underwater and we sent a lightning transaction underwater. Yeah, we I think I think it's the <laughs> first ever underwater lightning transaction. Oh I know, right? <laughs> and then we, and then we and then we had this idea for like extreme sport lightning transactions, like skydiving. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be a good idea, right? Skydiving, getting struck by lightning, sending lightning transactions. Yeah. We had a we had a better name for it though, didn't we? Was it, was it just extreme extreme lightning sports or something? Extreme lightning sports. Yeah. Did the transaction go through? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh wait. Just intuitively, like when you're messing around. Okay. Well, because I have to send. So in order to open a lightning channel, you have to send an on-chain Bitcoin channel uh, transaction first, which uh, you know will take a minimum of ten minutes to actually confirm. I think they take two confirmations, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, don't, I don't know if, well, okay, maybe I need to use Breeze more, but I don't know if Breeze would be the first wallet I would recommend to new people. It's I mean, the only one. recommend the full custodial just because you don't have to wait. Yeah. Well, but you still right. wait. You wait the same amount of time-ish, but with... I think with Sarah has a question. <laughs> wait, what is the full custodial? Oh, sorry. Okay. So the question was, what is a full custodial? Yeah, so the difference is whether or not the keys are with the service that you're using 
export the keys or own the phone because whoever has the keys is the only person that can actually sign on the Bitcoin blockchain and use the coins. Okay. So a, a full custodial wallet is some, something where, uh, like there's one called Wallet of Satoshi, where they literally are running a Lightning Bitcoin client on their end. They have the keys that are signed in the transactions and you just have an interface with their server. You're just, you're just sending trans like confirmation back and forth. They're making sure you're logged in and that you're you uh, and then saying that you have control of these coins. But if they get hacked, you're out of luck. Right. Um, but if you're, you know, you're using 10 bucks on the Lightning Network, you know, you might just want to play around. You know, it's not well, that is, there's nobody that has her keys but her. Breeze is very, is different. And that's why you have to wait for a channel to open is because they're sending it to your keys. Um, is that you are in full control of the coins and even Breeze, the service that is, you're essentially transacting through. They don't have any control whatsoever. Um, you can always get it back. It's, it's, if you don't it's sign it, you don't actually verify on your device to send the coins. And you're going to want to back it up. By the way, it asked me if I want to back up. I said back up later, but it'll have like a backup prompt. It'll put it in your Google Drive or something, uh, like a backup C, just in case your phone gets messed up or the app gets corrupted. Then you can back up your money without losing it. Because as uh, he said, um, the, the keys are on your phone, and nobody else in the world can, can move that money, yeah. even the guys who make the app. Um, and even the Bitcoin that I sent to the wallet, even though it's on chain and they switch it to Lightning, they do it in a trustless way. Um, using HTLCs, we don't need to go into that level of tech. But suffice to say, it, there's no. There's no we don't even need to go into Lightning. Like, I've been giving Lightning like, to new people. I've been doing this. This isn't my first time. No, man. How much did you send? That new people shouldn't. We shouldn't no, even talk about Lightning. Big time. <laughs> I big time disagree, and the reason why is because if I send five dollars to her right now on Bitcoin, and I pay a normal fee, you know, like three dollars, they can't even spend it. You can't send them $5 and then them send, they can't even send the money you gave them. This is not about spending. They should get used to not spending Bitcoin. Bitcoin is Uh, not about spending. That's, but I think it's way more useful for a new person, send them something they can actually spend and you can show them all the lightning sites and they can spend Satoshi's there. It's way better than, than, hey, look on your phone. It has this thing that you literally can't even send to Coinbase. This is where I think people who are new to Bitcoin will have the best questions that'll help us. Remember what we what we used to go through. Sure. Yeah. I thought the noobs episode was the last episode. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but what about like Cash App? Like that's what you had me download first. So yeah. Why why not so start with that versus Lightning or? Definitely start with Cash App first. Okay. Well, yeah. Definitely. Depends well, on who you're talking to. Also. I own twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yes. And you can sell it back anytime you want. Right. And it has nothing to do with the Lightning Network, and it's great. Yeah. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> So that's a good starting place. I, I I definitely recommend the Cash App to everyone now. Like I do, I do a radio show, and I used to recommend Coinbase, but for the last like uh, two months or so, I'm I'm recommending Cash App to everyone. Yeah, but Cash App is great, and they're um. Uh, let's see, I actually did this one on the show somewhere. Um. Uh, okay, I don't have it. I don't have it with me, but the their sub zero their cold storage like system that they use um, is fully open source and you can read about how they manage like hardware keys and like all the stuff and how much they actually have. Um, it's really cool. I actually read the article on the show. I uh, can't remember what, what episode it was, but it's their, their protocol is called Sub-Zero. Their you cold storage. But you'd still rather have a piece of paper in your hand with all your money on it? Yeah, because I know what I'm doing. A 
piece, but just on a piece of paper and keep I, it on a piece of paper. I know how to lose Bitcoin, and therefore I know how to not lose Bitcoin. <laughs> well, don't keep it on a piece of paper, I think. No, don't um, do that. No. Uh, anyway, but it's worth pointing out that obviously Cash App is not a real Bitcoin wallet because um, it, they're holding your Bitcoin for you. So we're something like Breeze. Well, yeah, to get people into Bitcoin, but it's but you got to say this though, it's because otherwise yeah. you're, it's no different than. That's fair. Dude, earlier this episode, you were talking, you were encouraging people not to use a Trezor and to use <laughs> and to say, use an exchange. I would still say, and now don't you're buy a Trezor, dude, buy a ledger, or any other hardware wallet that hasn't been proven to be insecure. It's so fine. yeah, so like when you buy your Bitcoin on the Cash App, you can click withdraw. And you can withdraw it to this like USB key that you keep personally, just so it's like fully in your control, and it's not on Cash App's server. So that you, would, yeah. you could withdraw it to your Breeze wallet, but you just feel. Yeah. And it would be your key, and it'd be very fancy. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. So I have another question, but most of you guys said you've been in this seven to eight years or longer. What prompted you to get into it? Like, what do you do in your nine to five? Is it related to any of this? Are you in the tech industry? Just curious, because I'm obviously way behind the curve and I work for a tech company, so I'm like wondering what piqued all of you. I went first last time. I think, well, I I think I could just make a a blanket generalization for all of us. Like, I think a lot of us have somewhat of a libertarian bent um, and have, has done their research on the financial system itself and how it works and realizes like, wow, this is kind of messed up. So for me, I came in from the finance side. Um, I work at an investment consulting firm and I've always, I was studied economics when I was an undergrad. So I was always fascinated on how the financial system worked. And when I first realized like that money itself wasn't really backed by anything except by pieces of paper and that it was really just a confidence game. I was like, oh, well, holy shit. Like, this is, this is really bad. Like, what's stopping it from the, the entire system kind of imploding on, it, on itself? Um, so that kind of let me, you know, you know, just really took a deep, deep dive into how everything works. And then literally Bitcoin was what kind of popped up. And at first, I kind of got in, and it was more on the speculation side, what I like how most people kind of figured it out. It's like, oh, this is a good way to make money. But then I end up being one of those people that stayed and just really dug deeper and deeper and deeper and learned more and more about it. So that's kind of in a nutshell, at least my journey. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I have a bit of a similar story. In fact, it was uh, I came in came into this studying. unable to tear myself away from it, so I'm trying to figure out how to make it my nine to five. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I definitely, actually, actually talked about this at length on the Citizen Bitcoin podcast with Brady, a really fun conversation, but we were just kind of talking about how, like, I really was just, like, lost in the whole, like, economics rabbit hole of, like, Austrian theory versus, um, 
kind of stopped Chicago School versus the Keynesian theory because I just realized that we we're all default Keynesians. We have this idea that the basic rather nonsense that we believe about economics is just the default truth. And then you start getting exposed to something like Austrian theory, and you're like, holy crap, this makes so much more sense. Like, suddenly, so many pieces of the puzzle that it was just like, oh, we just leave it up to them. You're like, like when you, just when you understand the nature of prices, you're like, there's no way this works. And so uh, it just so happened that while I was going down that rabbit hole and also right in the middle of kind of exploring BitTorrent and peer-to-peer -peer software. It was, it was really kind of a perfect storm of stuff. And uh, my brother got messaged uh, on Facebook and somebody was like, man, I bet you'd be really interested in this thing called Bitcoin. I just found out about it. And we were down the hole that night. Like, uh, we stayed up all night. I think it was like 9 o'clock in the morning. And we were like scrambling through the white paper and just talking about everything that if something like that worked, what would it mean for like how we organize society and like what would it mean for in economic incentives? And we were just, I mean, I mean, from the very moment that we got into it, it was, it was just, I, I, I'm, I'm right here, like with the exact same amount of fervor as I was that <laughs> night. So it's been a crazy, crazy ride. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. I actually, I like yours because you're one of the other guys. I think you and I, I think, are the only people that actually work in crypto-related stuff yeah. for a living. So my uh, my background was investment banking and healthcare and the finance side. Um, and I, I currently work for a, a Bitcoin exchange company, um, not local, but it's based out of San Francisco. Um, so uh, for me, you know, I, I initially heard about Bitcoin in 2013 and initially, like, dabbled in it in 2014, but kind of just put it in the back of my mind and thought, oh yeah, it's a cool thing. And I really, like my first, what I thought was was an aha moment with Bitcoin, which turns out that I don't really think it was, was thinking about it in terms of <clears throat> like saving people money on fees for transactions, like for credit card processing and mm -hmm. thinking about, oh my gosh, if you're a merchant and you've got a 20% profit margin on your product, and you can save 3% off the top from you know, not having to pay credit card fees, you just made, you know, if you can add 3% to your 20%, you just became 15% more profitable by being able to accept payments from Bitcoin. And then every meaningful competitor in your industry. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, and so that's, that would be like a fantastic way to differentiate yourself um, from your competition and be a competitive advantage. Um, Maybe that day comes about, you know, once further adoption comes, I don't think that day is imminent, um, just from a lot of structural just problems and just realistic issues in how Bitcoin works um, that I didn't get back then. Um, so I kind of put it off in the back of my mind, then, uh, you know, around 2015, started asking the questions again, just because I, I had bought some back in 14, and then watched my investment go down like 80% over the next year and a half. And I'm like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, um, and I eventually, uh, like, you know, back when the price started picking back up, I, I started looking at it again and actually trying to understand what the heck was going on. Because I would occasionally run across it and see articles and I'd read something, but I didn't really get it. And there were just very fundamental questions that I didn't 
hadn't asked yet that I just uh, needed to ask and just needed to you know, mull over and think about how they work. One of the big questions that I just did not understand fundamentally originally was what happens after all the Bitcoins have been mined? Like what happens after the year 2140? Because I didn't understand the concept of there's the inflation that gets produced into the system to, you know, to eventually get up to 21 million Bitcoins in existence, and then that process stops. But the whole mining process continues to work because of the transaction fees that, that users pay to transact in Bitcoin. Um, so just understanding things like that and about how the system hopefully will shift gradually from an inflationary you know, fee model to a user transaction fee security model um, just really stuck with me. And frankly, it was, it was one of those things that just kind of consumed all my, all my thoughts and interests and continues to. Um, and the, the more you learn about the incentives of the, the, uh, the protocol and how it's designed, it's just, it's, it's a really beautiful system of incentives that I, I really agree with the, the design and the trade-offs that it's made. And, and it just makes sense to me that there should be something that, uh, that you can actually say, okay, if I own one Bitcoin, that will always be one Bitcoin, one out of 21 million. And it's just, it's simple when you understand it that way, to where even if you have a million dollars in your bank account and you just sit it there for 50 years, it's not gonna be worth, I mean, it would still say a million on the bank account, but it wouldn't actually purchase. Buy you a fifth of the house. <laughs> yeah. So just that concept of actually, you know, that there could be something scarce on Earth, that everything else is not actually scarce. That, that was another big thing for me. And then I, I, I just uh, you know, serendipitously had a, a chance to move up here from Atlanta and, um, and switch, the, switch careers to really dive in on the day-to-day -day and, and dealing with you know, exchange-type issues and customers and just dealing with Bitcoin every day. It's funny that like you talk about how uh, the bear market was kind of what forced you to go. Right, so what the hell is this thing? So like, right. like really, like that was the encouragement to because that was that was essentially like my early exposure to Bitcoin on steroids. Is it was in the middle of like one of the first hype bubbles when I got into it. It, it did that spike went from like ten cent to thirty three dollars, mm -hmm. and I could not have FOMO'd harder. Like I got in at the tippy top with. With the most the shadiest possible like way to get into the exchange it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was in TGOX. Um, I mean that's what I used 90% of the time back then anyway. But it was like this weird thing. I had to go to some like ATM machine thing, and then I had to get a cash, and then like a voucher. I, I deposit cash into somebody's bank account, um, and then I would get like a like a. I just I, the the process was so shady, so shady. It was just it, laughable if I told you the whole thing. I can't even remember all the details. Um, but then finally got it, and then and then watched my investment go to almost nothing. Um, like like I say, and I talk about this on Citizen Bitcoin. And this was from thirty cents. This was thirty three dollars. Oh, thirty three dollars shot up to thirty dollars. Okay. 
yeah. then went back to like a buck, right? A yeah. buck something. Okay. Right. Two bucks was really the, money, you're like, oh no. Right. Oh, and get this, get this. Yeah. Like we, my brother and I were dirt poor. I was just kind of getting by at the time. Uh, like one of the months just before we'd had our power cut off. And we had to scramble to pull money together to get the power cut back on. Because like, all we did, all we did was like, use the internet. And my, grand, my, my grandmother had given me money to invest out of college. And I was like, this is going to be it. This is my investment. And I FOMO'd in at the top of this thing. And the crash there, you think the crashes happen fast now? It's yeah. nothing. I sleep through Such the crashes today. Yeah. Yeah. In two weeks, it went from $33 to under $2. And I remember I did the math <laughs> on it. I did the math on it. $1,000 had turned into 74 when I did the math that day. And it was all the money I had in the world. And I was like, what have I done? I'm such an idiot. That's amazing that you're still here after that. Yes. Well, that was the thing is that I had to stop and look like, like through the tears and the vomit. Like, I, I sat there and I looked at this thing. And the alcohol. And the alcohol. And I had to go, I had to go, okay. Like, have I made the stupidest, most emotionally driven decision of my life? Or have I found something fascinating? And so, like, I immediately, like, there was no greater pressure to sit down, read the white paper, read, you know, like, some of the stuff that I guess Goldstein had back then and stuff like the few OGs oh, yeah, that yeah. were still around then and actually writing. Um, like, how does the incentive structure work? And I, this is my first introduction into, like, what the hell is SHA-256, really? Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you encrypt something. That, that's what I knew about it. Um, and, like, so I started reading about all this stuff and, like, doing a serious deep dive for the next couple of weeks. And I was like, do I get my $7 out of this or do I ride? And a couple of weeks of not very much sleep later, I was like, I'm staying, and I can't get enough of this thing. It's yeah, that, just that's a big reason why I think that, that bear markets are probably the best thing to happen to mm -hmm. people who end up staying in Bitcoin. Because yeah. you have, in a, in a bull market, it's easy, everybody looks like a genius, and you don't have to actually understand <laughs> why you're doing what you're doing. You, yeah. know, you can just let it ride, and hey, it's great, you know, up a thousand percent, yay. Yeah. But Everybody's market, got conviction when they make money. Market, <laughs> yeah, you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing. And the more I just researched and thought I understood about Bitcoin, the more it just made sense that these are actual good answers to all my questions, and it just yeah. continued to make sense. Yeah, I think the, bail, the, the bull market, it was your flavor of the week, you know, new coin coming out that you had to buy because it was going to 100x within two days. Um, and so... I, I really didn't appreciate, I think, Bitcoin in and of itself. I think I told you, I think the, the first cryptocurrency I bought was Ripple. Like, Get out of here. But yes, you had to buy it was Bitcoin, Ripple. Though. How'd you buy it without buying Bitcoin first? XRP, the standard? It's from somebody else. Like, oh, okay. I gave him like, some money, and he gave me Ripple. And so that was like, my first experience with cryptocurrency. And like I remember the guys in the office were just like these huge Ripple guys, and I was a Ripple guy. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I jumped from Ripple to Ethereum. And then from Ethereum, it's like it's like a continuum. You start with all the hot, new, cool stuff. Ripple is a gateway drug. <laughs> it's a gateway drug. Ripple is the drug. But like the, 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 the bear market of 2000, uh, 2018 really got me to assess 
like why I'm here and why Bitcoin is different from the others. So I just listened to what everybody else said. And that's when like everything really started to click. And like the only thing I think about now is Bitcoin. Like I don't even like pay attention to those other stuff because I can now, you know, look at it and kind of from a skeptical eye kind of point out what I think of like, hey, I don't really trust what they're doing because of X, Y, and Z. And plus this is a new language for me, like computer science and all that stuff was just not my background. It was economics and science. So I have to learn a new language to kind of decipher what is going on in these white papers and these discussions. And it really does, it takes, a t it takes time to learn it on that kind of, you know, deep level. Um, but like once you do it, it's it's great. I, I still have never done the deep economics type. I mean, I listen to a lot of smart guys that are a lot smarter than me, and so I get the concepts generally. But I have not just you know become an economics professor <laughs> because of Bitcoin, like a lot of people kind of have. Yeah. Um, but but for me, it was all about uh, just the fact that I mean, obviously, I like that it was scarce. That I knew there was going to be twenty one million. So however many of them I could get, like that's it. Like if I get X amount, like you can never deflate my my how much you know how much of it i own and uh, unlike anything else like dollars or even a stock but um but the, but the best thing was that because of cryptography like nobody but me was in control of what i did with with my bitcoin like nobody could decide i was unpopular no politician could could say i was allowed to do it like nobody could turn it off like it was just it was like a forever thing and as long as at least one person runs it going to be there it's there and so and yeah. i'm the one that owns those particular yeah. points on that ledger yeah, yeah. and i mean it, that was the biggest thing for me it's like this is real it's the only thing that you'll ever really own um that can't be taken from you <laughs> it's because it's in your head in a big way i mean the, the pins the pins passwords whatever however you're storing it yeah. it's in your head yeah um i i don't really remember like my or everybody has these great origin stories. I don't really remember. I definitely didn't know anything about money. Um, I didn't didn't know anything about economics. I don't really care about money. Um, I thought money was like the source of all evil. You know, like <laughs> um, I was in a PhD program at the time, and I did my background in computer engineering. And I got in my PhD, I got really fascinated just by mathematical things and like the philosophy of math and cryptography is very much at the heart at some of the major philosophical problems regarding math and so I really started exploring like how belief systems can be built based on cryptography like at the same time that Bitcoin showed up and then um I remember talking to my dad one time when I was like, I'm pretty sure nobody can create any more Bitcoin. Like, I'm pretty sure there's nobody behind the curtain. Like, I'm pretty sure it's like totally provably mathematical that no one can print more Bitcoin. And it took me, you know, maybe like three months and I fell down the rabbit hole just like all these guys. I mean, pretty much everybody when it grabs us there's nothing else to think about. It's just all consuming because this is so important. Like it really feels like we're changing the definition of money on the planet. Like it's belief system level. It's like religion level. It's like, it's that deep how like deep this stuff goes. And it took me like, I don't know, maybe a month or so to convince myself that this really is 
mathematically completely provable scarcity and the monetary system based on that just makes so much sense and I don't know that's how I fell down the rabbit hole but some of that some of that period of my life is kind of a blur because <laughs> I was like bartending and there were some drugs involved so. <laughs> I, I think that Not might ripple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 like yeah, good good drugs not not ripple but yeah, ever since it's just yeah. So I, I don't do anything for a day job now. It's just like slowly I can't I couldn't think of anything else. Like I was a, I worked as a scientist for a couple of years after my PhD, but you know half the day at work I was just checking the charts and reading about Bitcoin. And then with this last bull run, you know, early investors like you know we have time to figure other things out now. So that's one of the most yeah. interesting things to me is just about the idea of digital scarcity and that all of these things that we think of as scarce aren't really scarce. They're just right. economically scarce. Yeah, that's just mind-blowing. That's like just one of the mind-blowing things. Like gold, we got plenty of mercury. We got plenty of, like, we got plenty of things that we could irradiate for, you know, $10,000 an ounce and make gold. Yeah. It would be worth it. There's asteroids. Or yeah. Just dig like more. There's, there's, like, or just dig more. There's a lot of other places that we could yeah. find gold. But yeah. Bitcoin in some odd, what, 315 days now will be roughly the inflation rate of gold, which is one of the, uh, I guess it would be the highest stock-to-flow ratio yes. of any asset in the world. And in like a year or some change after that, after you print another, you issue another 100,000 Bitcoin, well, then it's going to be the scarcest asset that exists, like, period. And there's no, there's no, we can just make buildings taller and get more space. There's no, like, we can mine an asteroid and find more Bitcoin. Like, there's just no other way to make any. Like, and there's that, nothing anything, anybody can do about it. Yeah, the scarcest, you know, versus gold today or ever in history. Ever. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, there's it's never been an hard, asset. It's very hard to grasp. Perfectly stuff. scarce as something that, that you, is just a ledger with a set you of tools. Actually, cannot make more of it, no matter how, how how hard you try. In fact, the harder you try, the harder it is to make more of it. Right? <laughs> like the harder you try, the more the algorithm adjusts so that like it just you kind of laughs at you the whole time. Like it's, yeah. it's not. I definitely think there is a global underappreciation of just how scarce Bitcoin is. Like. Whatever is shown on the coin market cap or any of those sites as a total circulating supply, it is not the circulating supply. And I think the day we figure the world figures out actually how much is circulating out there is going to be just—it's going to be crazy, because of the fact of if you if you think about the coins that are lost and you think about the amount of people who have been in the game for since the very beginning and haven't sold all, everything they have and are still accumulating. And you think about all the institutions that are just trying to fight their way and buy something. You see all these different ramps. Like I think Cash App, after the halving, will will take up as far as demand two hundred percent of the daily mining supply, whatever that that is. After is that, that one hundred percent overhead just with their current numbers. Just their numbers right yeah. now. And there's what? other yes, like that's Cash not, App is moving a it's, lot. It's, of yes, right now. I did hear a stat about the GBTC the. Grayscale Trust. They're they own seven percent. Well, but they're they're current with they're currently buying like twenty one percent of the yeah. daily mi- yep. supply. So next year that'll be like forty two percent. Yep. 
So, so you, like that's forty two percent of the entire new supply just off the market with one, you know. You have to have a seller. ETF yeah. like yeah. instrument, yeah. just one place. I think they own like seven percent or something that of all, like within that trust, right. all circulating Bitcoin. And so you see all these different people are trying to There's get. There's only hundred percent. Yes, and that, that's the point. It's like, is that how I, that works? <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, like, that's not true of dollars. That's, that's insane. <laughs> exactly. I think, or Ethereum. Or Ethereum. Or Ethereum, yeah, that's a good Which one. Which makes me you know, believe the, the idea of the price suddenly skyrocketing because yeah. there's a, a true right. underappreciation of how scarce it actually is. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Is that why you think it, like the elevator goes up so fast is because we run out of that circulating supply really quickly. Really you quickly. have to wait. Like, There's no volume. You have to yeah. wait for somebody to deposit into account exactly. to, to and fill that cell order. I'm not or selling. You're just gonna, yeah. You're just gonna <laughs> well, so we were talking about OTC. Yeah. Like the OTC markets are going to dry up because yeah. there's going to be a certain point where miners refuse to sell. Like the miners are going to sell as much as they yeah. can to cover it makes the cost. Makes to wait, and they all right. have to wait. Like they're they're in the game for long term anyway. They're allowed the, the, the algorithm the says. Like the, the algorithm, the, the Coinbase transaction is not spendable for 100 blocks. Right. So you so have, they to, have wait. to wait. They don't, they don't really have a choice. Like, that's just, they have to keep it. It's the incentive to, to say, we have to move this forward because otherwise I can't get paid. Mm. Um, so they've always been in the long game. And, and that's what you see is that most miners actually hold back their supply for like huge, huge waves. This is actually great because it's a correction mechanism. Like when everybody's FOMOing it hard, you finally actually get that supply to reach the market to try to balance the things back out. Um, but I think one of the most fascinating things about it is just um, like people have this idea that economics is boring, and it's the most fascinating thing in the world. Like it's it's what runs everything. Like we are incentive I think, organisms. I think there's a lot of like people who really have uh, a vested interest in keeping it seeming boring. Absolutely. So the average Absolutely. person doesn't come in and realize how interesting and impactful it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think And that's what Bitcoin has done. It's created all these new people who are asking what is money. Yeah. And what getting to see money? the incentives play out. Getting right. to see the fact that culture is different in a hard money society than in a crap money society. Like that that the very nature like money is the it's half of every transaction that happens everywhere. Like it is the most pervasive thing. If you have a minor change in the incentives. It's the it's the butterfly effect on steroids. Everything is manipulated after that. Like you don't have zero percent down, zero percent financing for twelve months in a hard money economy. That's not possible. Like the idea of just creating debt from nothing, and then the culture of frugality and waste that stems from that. When you're talking about a hundred years of crap monetary policy. People grow up thinking that you have to live on credit card to credit card. People, their spending habits, their idea of what it means to invest in the future, yeah. all of that shit changes. Maybe with hard money we'll have better podcasts. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm starting that motion. <laughs> the movement begins with the crypto economy. <laughs> crypto economy is changing its name to hardcast. Hard. <laughs> hardcast. <laughs> TM. By the way, if it's two confirmations, you'll have the money in your wallet. Oh, yeah, you'll probably have it by now. Because it's two, it's been confirmed twice. Yeah, check on yours. Anybody else want to do an origin story? Yeah. Yeah, Paul. Um, I think I was just on the internet a whole it lot, and so it might I realized that one day 
the current system isn't going to be able to apply itself to the internet where we're all existing and communicating and doing all of our business. So from there, it just makes sense to me. And it's, it's yeah, crazy that it can be, it can be that simple too. That everything is going to be on the internet. Money will be on the internet. And I don't trust the politicians and government to be able to create a solution to adapt. Yeah, I was going to say along those lines, you know, that I heard about Bitcoin back in 2010 and I was like, okay, we didn't pay much attention to it. But back in 2017, I heard about it again and I got involved with it because I had been involved and I have currently still involved with the stock market, but I saw much more potential with the uh, Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, just to your point, I, I hate governments, I hate taxes and all that stuff. <laughs> so I said, you know what, there's maybe a channel around here. So that's the way we got involved and the more i get to know about it the technology and the economy and all those things is like i'm learning you know i'm just like uh, in diapers if you will you know at this point <laughs> time. but, but it's, it's it's every time i come to these meetings i soak in so much information that it's really amazing and i mean by the end of the meeting usually i check with a few people hey i want to ask you this 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 what not because it's always for me a, a really new and exciting uh, time and you know who knows a year down the road i may be sort of along the lines of where you are, but also very importantly, one, one thing that I think is very important, I'm trying to assimilate all this information to make it, if I can use the word palatable for the people, because people sometimes get confused with it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. My children, they go, oh, dad, I don't understand that stuff. You know, it's like, get out of here. But I'm trying to get them involved. So I put a little bit of a challenge there. I'm going to tell you about it. The, the Bitcoin money kids book I showed you yesterday. Did you take that home? Oh, no, I gave that to Wendy. Never mind. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> go on. Go, go no, on no, 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 no. I don't have yeah. that. I don't have okay, it. Right, no, right, but anyways, right, yeah. I, I told them, you know, just put in there a certain amount of money. I said, uh, whatever money up to a cap level. I said, put in there X amount of money. And if you don't make 3X in, I, I said, I think 12 months in Bitcoin, then... I'll pay you the difference. <laughs> so, and, 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 and then if you make Bullish. more. Huh? Bullish. Bullish. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, but, but I want them to get involved. Yeah. Even if, if, if it goes only to uh, 1.5, that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't really matter doesn't if really you. Matter. Yeah, they're involved. Right, yeah. They're already exactly. committed. Yeah. You know, and they're going to say, okay, my dad, you know, lost X amount of money. That's fine. You know, they already have a, an, a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin there. Yeah. And it's. Is there for life, so that's what I want them to do. Get get started, and I and I can afford that. You know, that's why I put a cap there. But now, Sarah, I have to admit, I'm very curious. I don't know. I know that you're from Red Hat. Yeah. What's What's your story? What What made you come here? Um, Paul. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey. Yeah. Do y'all um, Do y'all know each other previously? Yeah. Yeah, we've been friends for a number of years now. Yeah. 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 We were just kind of conversing about it. I have to say though, if you say that you're Yeah, really little experience. I'm in sales at Red Hat, so not 
like mm-hmm. um, so to speak. But it's just been you know I've read some enough to have that be interesting to me and. Paul keeps talking about how <laughs> cool the meetup is. I can come <laughs> learn and ask dumb questions. So I, Paul, I please did that. shut up about Bitcoin. <laughs> I'll go to your stupid meetup. <laughs> no, no, but I really, I, I think, I mean, it was cool investing my you know, 20 hard-earned dollars in the cash app. <laughs> seeing, seeing it grow, I like, told my dad, I'm like, Dad, I made $8. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Not at the job. Yeah. job. Which is almost 50% and insane, by the way. I know yes, he said that. He wants to come to this meetup. It's oh, like, yes. Yeah. Bring that yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, so I just, I kind of want to learn more and figure out where to start. And maybe it's a little late in the game to be getting involved. But it's no, not late. It's so early. It's so early. I feel yes. like everybody here at one point has said the yes. exact same thing. Everybody, yeah. everybody thinks that. There are people yeah. thinking, oh, my God, Bitcoin's I, at $1,000. I truly don't think we have hit the web browser moment. I truly do not think yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we are at, I think the only app that we have right now is provable scarcity, is, is the idea of an independent asset. Um, but I I legitimately think we're, we're rebuilding the financial network on top. Like the idea of a financial system is going to be built on top of this. This will be a, a form of a settlement layer. Um, and I think every financial agreement that you have in this space with a company that's worth its salt in 10 to 20 years, you will hold a key, the company will hold a key, your family lawyer will hold a key, like it will be it will be a system of arrangements where there as, is as little trust between you and the institutions that you use as is possible on the Bitcoin system. Um, I, I don't even, I do not even think we are close to like what is actually going to be built with this one. I think we're finally getting the Lego pieces that allow us to build the skyscrapers, yeah. but I don't. Yeah, there there is no there is no too early for the game right now. We're twenty years away from too early for the game. I think a, a lot of people have that experience where they're like checking the price and like noticing it going up and down and like knowing they have the ability to sell it if they want. And I so many people a lot of times just like teenagers and stuff. I love just giving them something that they can own because it's weird to um, to own something. It's yeah. it's weird to own something. And know that it's yours. And know that it's yours and know that this is something that is worth something and I can sell. It's my decision whether to sell it or to hold on to it because I own an asset. Like giving a 13-year-old the feeling of owning an asset is like – one of the most beautiful things, like it, just watching them know that they own something, yeah. like yeah, just giving people a little bit of, of it and just having them check the price every day. I just think it's so cool. I think that's the best way to get people into it. And you know, it's like particularly at that age, your whole life is permissioned. You know, right. like everything yeah. that, like what you do with your time is based on your mom and dad agreeing. Mm-hmm. Like like what you can do on the internet is based on your mom and dad agreeing. Everything in the digital world is somebody else is holding your data and you're just getting access to it. And because there's no responsibility there, like it's yeah. never, you know, you lose your password, you reset your password. Like it's, none of it is, none of it is yours, but you don't think about that when you're using it. It's not until you have something that is different. It's yeah. not until somebody sends you Bitcoin that you stop and you think, this is mine and I have it and there's not a soul that can keep me from making this transaction. There's not a soul yeah. that can bring my Bitcoin back 
if I squish my phone and I didn't keep a backup, like, yeah. like it's there. like responsibility. It's like yeah. it's like that day when you walk out the first day in college and you're like, holy shit, I can do whatever I want with my day. Yeah, like I don't have to ask anybody. Like it's just you just kind of walk out and your parents drive off and you're like, this is totally <laughs> up to me. Where do I go? Yeah. I don't know. I go wherever the hell I want to go, you know? Like, suddenly my life is mine, and it seems like a tiny little thing. But yeah. you kind of have that same moment in Bitcoin. It's like, yeah. holy shit, this is mine. This really is mine. Yeah, and it appreciates. It's not like your clothes or your skateboard or something that you know is, like, getting, you know, less and less valuable. It's like, this, I can store, yeah, it's like I can see the value of this growing, and especially in bull markets now. Like, I'm a little reluctant to give new people Bitcoin um, in bear markets, but in bull markets, like I'm always giving new people Bitcoin just mm -hmm. so that they can see it grow. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of just ownership, I mean, even down to your own money in your bank account, it's not even your money. Yeah. Like if, if you have- you like, got your withdrawal limit, limits yeah. and your bank oh. hours and all yeah. that. Well, you've also got I your mean, blacklist, if, like no WikiLeaks. Well, not yeah. even just that. Yeah. I mean, like if, if we woke up tomorrow in like a Cyprus situation where you know, the government says we're giving a haircut of 10% on deposits that's at this threshold. Well, that is technically legally the bank's money. Yeah. So you don't even know that. Yeah, that was one of the craziest things is during this whole mess, I started reading about financial regulation and like some laws that have gotten passed. And it's crazy how quickly like they kind of turned that whole ownership dynamic on its head. Like before it was, they were custodians of your funds. And now you were actually a lender to the bank. Right. Um, like, like you own you own a quote unquote share in the bank with your account. So if they haircut your account, it's to keep it's because they own the money and they've modified what they owe you back. Right. Like it's it's really kind of crazy. And that happened like I think it was two thousand and nine, like right yeah. when those bunch of bills got passed and that yeah. whole thing just flipped on its head and nobody talked about it. Just like whatever, pushed under the rug. Thousands of pages of regulation just completely gone, <laughs> or added, that yeah. just changed the whole rules. Yeah, there's there's a lot of areas of life when you start to learn about Bitcoin that you start thinking about how a hard monetary policy would affect other areas of life. It's, my, my wife is big into nutrition and health and stuff, and it's amazing some of the conversations we have. I'm always talking about Bitcoin. She's always talking about nutrition and health and stuff. And there's a lot of overlap in these, you know, fiat concepts of just garbage crap food and misinformation and just leading people astray to do things that aren't good for them in the long run that both of those concepts have together. I'm sure there's lots of others, but those are two that a lot of people talk about. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how the whole, like the idea of incentives and like a money that instills or conditions a certain sort of behavior in people um, how much of the, the high time preference of like, let me spend now, uh, let me just like get my satisfaction as quickly as possible rather than investing for the future on like a long time preference and wanting to build something that lasts, how much that bleeds into every area of our life, not just like our financial choices, not just like how we treat our savings accounts, like it's just everywhere. Like the basic concept of, is it good to save money? Like, it's no, man. 
It's no, demonized. Yes. You're making our saving. gross domestic product look terrible by yeah, saving. How dare you? are hoarding you? valuable money. By spending my money, not saving my money. Yeah. Like I owe, I owe a duty to society to spend my money, not to me and my family by saving it. Yeah. Just that concept. Well, you got to think about it, though, is that even that dichotomy of the idea that your saving money is good for you and your family and then spending money is good for society is actually flipped on its head. Yeah, in the long run. To save money means that you are providing a surplus of goods to the economy. You've done your job for weeks and weeks producing services or food or goods or products, whatever it is for other people, and not consumed it back out of a pool of resources. Saving money is exactly what's good it makes other people wealthy at your own personal restriction. Like, but then to spend is to consume all of that crap for no reason when you don't even have a good, you don't have a good decision to do it. Mm-hmm. And now you've, made, you've increased those prices for other people. You've consumed those resources. You've pulled food. You've pulled hours of labor out of the economy when somebody who is less off than you actually really needs it right now. And you're just doing it because, like, eh, my savings account's going to be crap. I want to help the economy. Like, yeah, I, I also think um, having savings <clears throat> changes like the culture, like you were saying, people who aren't living to paycheck to paycheck have less anxiety and like people with less anxiety make better art and better music and invest in like personal relationships with one another and like spend quality time with one another and like all of that stuff. I'd never thought about any of this stuff like yeah. uh, before Bitcoin, but all of that stuff seems like it's related to our financial system, which constantly emphasizes people to be on the brink of bankruptcy and live paycheck to paycheck and spend all their money and not saving. Like our government not emphasizing saving, um, it doesn't lead to a society that I want to live in. Yeah. So, but you read studies and yeah. like, discussions about like what the cause of depression is and it's about people like like the one thing that you hear more than any other is that they feel like they have no control Mm. and that's exactly what you get when somebody's living paycheck to paycheck they feel like everyone else's decisions all the external parts of their environment are what determines whether or not they get anywhere is because a flat tire can, can can ruin the next half a year because they were not in a position to pay for that. Now they've got to put it on a credit card. Now they've got to pay 250% of that back to, you know, o- over the next six or seven months, and they've got to skip meals and everything to get it back. Like when everyone is living paycheck to paycheck and then trying to catch up. Like if, you're, if your paycheck is worth less next year, unless you get a raise, that's a horrible position to be in. That's a horrible position to be in. Just like another concept that bugs the heck out of me with, with this stuff and how we think about finances. And say you live in a country that has 5% inflation. You know, 5% for the U.S., that's high. You know, we would think that would be a catastrophe. But some places, that's pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. There's like 30 countries now that have over 10% inflation or something. But say there's 10, 5% inflation. You've got to earn 5% on your money just to keep your purchasing power. So to actually gain, you know, you've got to make seven, eight, nine, ten percent, and and it puts these these people in these positions where, you know, if you're a school teacher now you've got to be a school teacher and a financial analyst to know how to play the markets and time the markets and make good investment decisions when you should just be a teacher, you yeah. know, and you should save your money and that should be good enough. You know, 
and weird things that, that financial shenanigans make us do that people aren't supposed to be doing all the time. Yeah. The reason that, it, it's funny because the, the very nature of money is good, the reason it came about is because it's the one, it was the one good that did not deteriorate, that, like, that you did not have to subjectively value your one ounce versus my one ounce. It was the same. Like it had all of this, the set of like seven critical characteristics that just made it the perfect vehicle to put value in today and then take it out two years later and it's still the same. Um, or it's more. And based on like how much is available in the economy, but that's the whole goal of money. That's why money is a tool in and of itself. It transports value through time. So if you have a government that's just inflating it, to confiscate 5% of all of the resources. Think about that. 5% of all of the resources of the economy in order Every to enforce year. their <laughs> vision of the world onto everyone else. And they are doing that, but you destroy what money is even there for. It's like, I can do that if I just store chickens, they'll all rot and I'll lose all the value of it. And like, but that's the whole reason we had money. It's the reason the market adopted a standard is because that wouldn't happen. You're, you're, you're pushing us back into a barter economy. You're pushing us back into inefficiency and the inability to communicate value between each other. It's like, it's like constantly <coughs> just changing the definitions of words a little bit and then expecting everybody to get along. It's like, no, we're going to be speaking different languages. We're going to be screaming at each other. Everything's going to suck and nobody's going to know why. It's like, well, because our language isn't the same as it was a, a year ago. We're having to constantly fight to keep things nice, just keep things stable. And it's like a, it's a never ending struggle. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I, um, that, what he was just saying about money as a language, um, really, that, that is what really drew me into this, is thinking of money as a cultural and human phenomenon, and that we don't understand what money it is, just like we don't really understand what language is. We just know that like we need to have some method of communicating value to one another, and it's money is really just a language when you think about it like that, and that's what made me stop thinking like, oh, money's evil to like, no, wait, money's fascinating as shit, yeah. and it's also like really important that we do it right and all that stuff. Um, and that was, I think it was, yeah. I think it was shelling out by Nick Zabo when I. First okay. Time. For me, like, it was Andreas. Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos. And Andreas, see, yeah. It's, it's hard yeah. to say which one really was my aha moment because I was reading yeah. a bunch of that all at once. But yeah. there was definitely this clear point that I went, like, that a switch went off, and it struck me. I still think it was. I still think it was shelling out by Nick Zabo, um, just because. Oh no, it wasn't. It was Money, Blockchains, and Social Scalability by Nick okay. Zabo. He okay. has read thousands of articles on his podcast, yeah. and I'm not kidding. Like yeah, that's what thousands. I do on my podcast is I make his, audiobooks out of his all podcast these is an audiobook of all the best Bitcoin I I articles on Medium on any kind of like. Ex I yeah, to his stuff yeah. Constantly. <laughs> yeah. I did everyone's gonna... scammer by Goldstein today. Yeah, by Bitstein. Yes. Do you yes. need to save this before the battery runs out? Or... We're gonna die. Yeah, I'm just I'm just worried we might like <laughs> like lose everything if we don't yeah. save it. Yeah. Um, but uh, money, blockchains, and social scalability was the one that hit 
hit it home that the idea of a monetary standard, the idea of a monetary standard is exactly what allows us to bridge the gaps between like cultural and uh, like community barriers and things. Did, okay. did you stop it? Okay. Yeah. Is it just what? Still go? The thing just in case? Okay. Um, okay. Was that we literally. That was working fine. You're good. But that we genuinely cannot scale society. We, oh, you're out, Jimmy? Dude, sit chatting with you. If anyone is still listening to this podcast, like, send me a message and I'll send you a little Bitcoin. I just want to know. All right, call me. Call me and talk to me. <laughs> those who are listening all the millions of people that are still listening um and that if you did use breeze and you put some lightning on it there's an awesome website lightningnetworkstores.com with dozens of uh awesome things you can do with the lightning network on there so it's one thing that our newest bitcoin user could possibly do while you're just like bored or whatever on your phone go to lightningnetworkstores.com check out all the cool apps and just start sending satoshis out you can send one satoshi to something you know, for, for basically for free, it's like a thousand, like a hundredth of a penny, not even a hundredth of a penny. I was about um, to say it's less than that. I think it's yeah. somewhere around a thousand or something. And, um, and, and you can, you know, just mess around with your Bitcoin. Yeah. Th thanks and again to Paul for hosting us tonight. Like, really Paul, appreciate the Bitcoin Collective Awesome House downtown rally. Sarah, thanks. Thanks, thanks for saying That's awesome. Thanks, yeah, Sarah, for coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. No, cut it there. Yeah. All right, see everybody next week. <laughs> so I should read it. Uh, you should read it.